So Vin Armani, I'm super excited to be talking with you. Uh, for those who don't know who Vin is, a little setup. I first came across you, Vin, I don't know, at least three or four years ago, and it kind of been following you on Twitter. And you actually brought me onto your podcast at the time. And, and the Vin that I sort of had in my mind then was like, like the vodka dealing, like former gigolo, anarcho entrepreneur, just starting to dabble into crypto. Fast forward a few years later, now when I think of Vin Armani, I'm like, oh, he's like the sage of our times. He's like the guru up on. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, no. You went, you went through a transformation. So, so I'm going to set up this sort of first okay. question by saying, I, I remember a couple of years ago, you would tweet things out like these kind of predictions about the world. Sometimes mm-hmm. they were about Bitcoin, but sometimes they're about the world at large. And you do this hashtag, Vinstradamus. And they were right. kind of fun. They were kind of cute. I always thought your predictions were like, directionally, they seemed plausible, but a little extreme, you know. All of a sudden, it went from like you making these kind of wild out, slightly exaggerated predictions to, oh my God, this is troubling. This guy seems to have a map that no one else has. Like 2020, that's what made you a sage in my mind, because you know, being having the perspective that I have in the world, there's there's nothing about the kind of things that happened in 2020 mm-hmm. talking to me, but the degree, the speed, the intensity, the 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 like just world shaking like escalation of mm-hmm. the things that happened totally took me by surprise and completely shattered what I thought was the Overton window of of political possibility, cultural possibility. You are one of the few people not at all shocked by this. In fact, mm. you have the receipts of, all, you know, oh, there'll be tanks in the streets. You were saying this stuff like months before. Oh, here's a picture of tanks in the streets, right? So how, how have you been so prescient? What's your map? What has allowed you to, to know what's coming as well as you have? Uh, so I think it's two things. The most important is I, I would really say that for me that, map the first time that i ran across uh the map was uh, joseph campbell so i mean may- maybe it maybe it first started um with david david mamet's book three uses of the knife which was uh it, it's a very short book people who don't know david mamet he's a very very famous playwright who wrote like glenn glenn gary glenn ross and some other like pretty big uh, very famous plays so he's maybe the last great playwright some people might say there's not really a lot of a lot of playwrights anymore right um so he wrote this book called three uses of the knife that is he also writes philosophy books so he recently wrote a book called the secret knowledge which is also great too like it, it's very predictive of what's going on now where he says that there's this fetishization in, and he's writing this in it's relatively recent. It's somewhere between 2015 and 2017 that this book came out. Um, and it's basically like he's railing against this idea of secret knowledge that, you know, we've put this class that somehow there's this belief that there is the secret knowledge and some class has the secret knowledge and he's railing against this. And it's like, is that not predictive of 2020, right? Is that not the embodiment of trust the science, right? That it's like, no, there's some group that has the secret knowledge and we're trusting them. And so he's blowing this apart in like 2015. So 
what's interesting, and I, and I think that it's like, because then you ask the question, well, how does David Mamet have a map too, <laughs> right? So it's like, how does he have the map? And three uses of the knife was what really turned me on to it because three uses of the knife is him basically saying what his map is. And he says, okay, so three uses of the knife is, uh, I believe the subtitle is something like on the nature and purpose of drama. <laughs> and so here's this dramatist who, what he's basically going through and he's talking about the metaphysics of drama. Like, what is drama? Why are we into drama? Why do we have these narrative structures? He's got one thing in there, uh, one quote, and I've tweeted it where he says, when, when we tire of Zeus, we create the pantheon. So basically what he does is he rolls through the evolution of human beings and their need for drama hmm. and how we explain the world through drama and narrative. And it was in there that he spends a whole section talking about Joseph Campbell. I was like, who is this Joseph Campbell guy? So this is probably back in 2007, 2008. I'm like, who is this? And the book was just so profound that I was like, okay, well, let me look up Joseph Campbell. So then I go and I, I start researching this guy, Joseph Campbell. And this is, so again, this is 2007, 2008. And read his book that's from the 40s called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And people have probably heard me talk about this, this book before. And so this has become a very famous book. One of the reasons it became one of the most famous books uh, out there and the hero's journey, people have probably heard of that, but he's writing about this in the 40s. How it became particularly popular was George Lucas was just like, yeah, I, there's even, you can go find a video. There's a video online of George Lucas giving an award. to He's speaking at an award ceremony for Joseph Campbell, like a lifetime achievement award. And George Lucas literally says, I had been wanting to write a space opera for a long time. And then I found Joe's book. And I basically just copied exactly everything that he put in there. And that's Star Wars. And he said, had I not found that book, I would probably st uh, still be trying to write that thing today. Right. You know, it's so, funny because I've heard the Star Wars thing I've heard with the hero's journey. And I had even heard that back in the day. And like a few times people would mention it. It would show up in a book somewhere. Someone would reference, oh, Star Wars is based on this Joseph Campbell guy. But I think you were like four or five years ahead of this, but it, it became like a household name. Like my, my teenage kid knows Joseph Campbell now. I think Jordan mm -hmm. Peterson. For sure. That whole phenomena of like seeing the world through myth. You were ahead of that, but all of a sudden that exploded, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, that's because, because it's a description of reality, right? So it's like, the, so Joseph Campbell's whole idea is that he calls it the mono myth. The hero's journey, he says, is the mono myth. And the entire thing, well, as you can tell by the title, the hero with a thousand faces. He's a, he's a uh, or he was, I mean, he passed away, I think in the 80, late 80s or early 90s. Um, he was a professor of uh, comparative religion. And so basically what he, he it's a masterpiece of him going through every world religion, every major world religion and saying, there's one story, folks. Like we've been telling the same story over and over and not even just, and clearly not even just in religion, but it's Lord of the Rings. It's the Matrix. It's every Marvel movie. And his whole, and in the forties, he's saying, hey, this is the only story that resonates with us. It's somehow deep in our biology or psychology. It's very Jungian in that way. And so, you know, Jordan Peterson. So I, I will tell you the same summer that I totally ingested Joseph Campbell, this weird opportunity pops up for me 
where I wind up on this reality show so randomly that's about the most like random thing. Just a series of events in my life puts me on this show. And the Gigolos, right? That's the show on Showtime. And it was the reason why I even was like willing to do it. At first, I was like, reality TV, that was the <laughs> last thing. And especially in 2010. Right. So in 2010, there's nothing interesting in reality TV. It's like Jersey Shore, the beginning of the Kardashians. And, you know, I, I would say that I was kind of a, a, I was maybe a little bit on the on the woke side, certainly thought of myself as cosmopolitan uh, in the early days of woke before it became pathological. Right. Living in L.A., software developer, you know, working in social media and, and on the music and entertainment side. And I'm like, oh, this is the worst, you know, DJing and producing music. And I'm like, reality TV is like the worst thing. But it was on Showtime. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Like Showtime was doing pretty groundbreaking stuff at the time and they've gotten a new president. And I saw the trailer for this thing that was kind of privately put out online. And, and I wasn't in it, obviously. The other four guys who were in it, they were looking for like a, another guy. And uh, they were like, ah, somebody who could bring some, maybe some comedy to this. It's a little bit different angle, whatever. And so my agent, I was working as an actual, <clears throat> excuse me, straight male escort at the time, a gigolo at the time, like part-time, you know? And he came to me and he was like, well, I just got a call one day. And it was like, Vin, you're on the show. Don't say no. So he had, I mean, he had told me when we first met that they had sort of filmed the pilot, whatever. I didn't take it seriously. And what was interesting about this was, so I went to Vegas, filmed this show. The entire time that I'm filming this show, I was like, am I being punked right now? Like, I couldn't believe that, like, I was like, is this some super elaborate, like, gotcha type of show where it's like, we put this guy on a reality show and then, like, at the end, it's like, gotcha, like Truman <laughs> Show or something. It was that surreal, right? And then the show comes out and I'm watching the show and I'm watching the first episode and I'm like, no, no. They just did, they did a reality show that's the hero's journey. Like, how, do, they edited this together it's exact. And I was like, oh, shit. And I'm the hero. I was like, no. And I actually broke down and started crying. Like, how this is, doesn't make any sense. How am I inside of this? How are they about to do this? Like with the reality show, like this doesn't make any sense. And I called up the main story producer whose last name also happens to be Campbell. Right. Which at that moment, <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is stop. Right. I'm like looking at the universe and I'm like, just everything stop. I'm in a simulation right now. And I called him up and I'm like, yo, I just watched this first episode. You did the hero's journey. And he's like, of course we did the hero's journey. What are you talking about? We want the show to sell. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding. me. So I spent the next six seasons. And how weird is that? Right. So like, yes, it's a drama. Yes, it's kind of not scripted, but staged in a way. Yes, I'm being presented as a character. Yes, it's edited in a certain way. But like, I know what the, their incentives are. No, they're not here to punk me at all. They're, they're doing a hero's journey for all of us. And I knew it was going to be wildly successful. And the thing was, by the end of the sixth season, it was the top rated weekday show for Showtime. They wow. had never, yeah, they had never spent a dollar on marketing. Not a bus bench, 
not a magazine ad, not anything. It's totally word of mouth, right? It was totally word of mouth. It's syndicated, I think, now in 26 different markets. Weird shit would happen, like Diablo Cody, you know, the very famous director she directed, like Juno, uh, Grown Adult, whatever. Most recently, she did Tully. Well, she became this huge, which Charlize Theron, she mm-hmm. became this huge fan of the show. So, like, if you look up, like, Diablo Cody, um, Jay Leno, there's an episode of Jay Leno where she goes on and her appearance, she's sitting next to John McCain. Her entire appearance, all she does is talk about gigglos. <laughs> and, and Jay, like, puts up the, oh, who's this guy? And she's like, oh, that's Vin. He's super cool. He's like a feminist. He's really <laughs> nice guy, whatever. Oh, who's this guy? You know what I mean? And then when she made the Charlize Theron movie, um, Tully, this most recent one, I think she won an Academy Award for it. Um, like, I'm in the fucking movie. All of a sudden, people call me and they're like, dude, have you seen this new Charlize Theron movie? Like, you're in it in the first 10 minutes because the character is like this huge fan of gigolos. It's like a gigantic <laughs> part of her life. And so they're like, dude, she's watching you on TV in the first 10 minutes. And I'm like, what? This is this. And so it's been, so when you ask like, how do you have the map? I had this weird experience where I got to literally live inside of a myth. Mm. Like where I had a myth created where I was a character in the myth and the mythological character fed back into my life. And then I fed back into the mythological character. And like, I did this for six years. This was my life. Like I lived inside of a myth. I lived inside of the archetypes. And like, if people, if people watch this show, like I, what, I, what people walk away and they're like, oh my God, that was like, I didn't expect that. This was, that was life-changing. What the hell, what was that? There's no, I thought this was just some goofy. And it's like, yeah, why is it hitting you like that? And it's because like, it, it's, it is what drama is supposed to be like when you do the hero's journey. So forward to the predictions. What this told me was going through this experience and actually living through it, and this has very much informed everything that I've been trying to communicate to people, is like, it goes beyond belief. You can read Joseph Campbell and think, ah, maybe that's cool or whatever. But it's like, if you talk to George Lucas and you ask him about the power of the hero's journey, he's going to turn around and be like, see Skywalker Ranch? See my bank account? See Disney? And it's the biggest thing. I mean, think about how, how, what a big deal it was, this whole thing with Gina Carano recently. See, but it's not about Gina Carano, okay? It's about that she was a character in Star Wars, in a Star Wars property. It's not just that she was on any random TV show. She was in a Star Wars property. She was in our culture's mythology playing a character. It's at a religious level. And while people don't consciously understand that that's what they're playing out, they're absolutely playing it out. They're playing out the same pattern that our ancestors have played out forever. So when you start to see patterns going and then you lay there, so there's the hero's journey, right? But within the hero's journey, so within Lord of the Ring, within the hero's journey, there's the empire. Within Lord of the Rings, there's Mordor, there's Sauron, 
right? Within the, the, the yeah, matrix. Cause that, that's where I was going to get to like, okay, I see the, the hero's journey being a, a good map for sort of the individual's journey, your own or a prominent figure in culture, whether real or fictitious, but where do you get the, the map for what's going to happen with sort of culture at large or politics at large. And so you're saying that that also provides a template for what is the empire going to do? What is the, you know, uh, the, the Mordor going to do? They have a predictable structure or sequence to events in this story. Is that, is that where you're, where you're going? Yeah. And they're not separate from one another. So this is the important, important thing, right? And it's in all of these stories. So, you know, if you only know the Lord of the Rings movies, then you don't get the full picture of the cycle. But there's a great, I've watched this probably, and it was in that same summer that I watched this 20 times, 30 times. It's uh, an animated version of Beowulf. Just go and look up Beowulf. But what you'll find so interesting about this is it's anime. It's like animated, computer animated. But then you go down through the cast and it's like John Malkovich, Robin Wright, Anthony Hopkins, Crispin Glover. Um, it's just like Angelina Jolie. You go to like down this list of people and you're like, what is this all-star cast doing in this animated thing? Like, what is this? They obviously didn't get paid a ton of money. So you're like, no, John Malkovich doesn't just do some bullshit. What? He doesn't just do cartoons. Watch it. Watch it. Because it, it answers your question. And the thing is, what is it about the empire? Right? Who's the villain? Who's the villain? Okay. Darth Vader. That's like, he's the big villain. Well, what's Darth Vader's story? He was the hero who became corrupt. But that's also the story with the whole, the whole situation of the rings and Sauron, isn't it? Yeah. Like he gives the rings to the kings and then the kings become corrupt, right? And this is the, this is the whole entire, even, even with the matrix, the idea was that there was, the humans created the machines, right? To, to, to serve them. And then the machines became corrupt. So, it was, so you've got the hero's journey of the machines as hero. You know, this, take it. The Terminator movies, the the Magneto in the in the X Men, like it's it, all of the uh, Two Face, right? In Batman, is Harvey Dent first? He's 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 on the and then there's some corruption with him. Like it's the hero corrupted becomes the Empire, and so this whole story. Think about what we've got. I've been talking about like the rise of the devouring mother. This is another thing. I've been talking about that for years that it was. I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you're bringing that in. Cause I was going to ask, I've, I've heard you talk about, I think it's like from a uh, Buddhist tradition or something, these sort of uh, Hindu, uh, Hindu. Yeah. Or the Hindu tradition. I'm sorry. It's just like horribly, you know, politically incorrect. It's sure. <laughs> Buddhist, but I mean, Hindu. <laughs> sure. Sure. But they're the, related uh, to know, each other. They're related. And I've, and I've heard you talk about the devouring mother. So um, I was going to ask, I was going to, it was on my list to, to say, hey, where does that fit into this? And, and the dim age that you've sort of coined. So continue, I'll, I'll just let you roll. Well, so in the, in the heroes, so the hero's journey, there is a male hero's journey, but there's also a female hero's journey. And um, it's that female hero's journey, unfortunately, is not really dealt with in our modern drama 
and it's a shame. And it's one of the reasons why we've reached the place that we have. But um, so it's like something like the Hunger Games is actually a male hero's journey with a female protagonist. So there's a lot of that going on, but that misses the point. So uh, if you want to see the female hero's journey, um, you're going to need to go probably to fairy tales. And so one of the prime examples is going to be something like a Snow White. That's a, like a really good example. Okay. So what you have or what you have in that situation, or maybe like a sleeping beauty almost, but I think Snow White is better because she's a much, much more of an agent of her own, you, you know? So what you see is that you see these two archetypes is that you see the, the formerly beautiful, right? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all. So like you have that at one time Maleficent. And it's interesting that like, Disney's gone and made these Maleficent movies, right? Like, right as I've been saying, ah, the, the rise of the devouring mother, and they cast Angelina Jolie, and they kind of make her an anti-hero, and that you can kind of, you know, root for her, or the Wizard of Oz. Is the, would the devouring mother be, so you said in the hero's journey, the hero that gets corrupted, the Darth Vader, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's kind of the male hero that gets corrupted. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, maybe um, Jordan Peterson talks about this kind of thing as well. That's more of the, the father archetype being the authoritarian, the corrupted version of that is like overly authoritarian and order, order, order. We must have order, even if imposed by force. And then the, the tyrant, the, the tyrant. Like so the, the tyrant and the wise king, right? So the hero yeah. is going to turn into one or the other. He's on a path. And he's going to go one way or the other, depending upon how he navigates the hero's journey. So go ahead with the, with the, so, so, yes, so then I was going to ask right. is the, the female version of that, um, you know, the devouring mother is more of a, rather than order chaos being the, the negative version of that, the corrupted version of the female archetype. Is that, is that a fair description? Yeah. So the, in the, in the female, you're dealing with chaos because you're dealing with potentiality. And so the two would be the blessed mother and the devouring mother. So the blessed mother is Mary, right? It's, it's, it's the mother of God. Like that's, and, and he's the hero. So you see the cycle, right? You see the cycle there. And that's why I say check out Beowulf because it deals with the female and the male cycle. But by the right? way, uh, Tolkien was the one who popularized Beowulf. It was sort of treated as like this, just whatever weird thing. And he kind of elevated it to the status mm -hmm. of great literature as a, as a medieval uh, studies, you know, professor. Well, it's because he clearly, he understood this, the, the patterns, right? Like he's pre Joseph Campbell and he's writing, I mean, it's the quintessential. I mean, these are, those books are, and he didn't just have the books, like the, the, the narrative books, right? Like he's got the entire mythology and the history of this world that he's got figured out. So this dude was tapped deep. You know, he's a Christian mystic. He's tapped way deep into it. And so, I mean, when we're looking at the female, this is, and this is the danger that we've run into is uh, we don't, we have poo-pooed like feminism for, for what it's worth has basically poo-pooed the value of the female hero's journey. Hmm. That it's like, it shows her as weak or whatever. It's all of this. And it's like, mm, then you don't really understand strengths. Hmm. You know, uh, so, so- Hence the the aping of the male hero's journey and substituting yes. a female lead. Yeah, Because it's like, is, is you know, this thing about Mary, a, a, a level of like, 
is Mary not something that women should that not just a woman, but that a man should aspire to be as great as her. There's this, there's this beautiful prayer that my spiritual father shared with me that it's uh, the akathis, which means like um, you must stand when you do it. And it's the akathis to uh, Mary, mother of God, softener of the hearts of evil men. Mm-hmm. And basically what it is, is it's it, in, in the Orthodox prayer form, it's the story of Mary as a witness of all of the evil done to her son and her continued faith. And if you think about, here's this woman, she's got this son that she not only loves very much, but that literally was like a gift from God as you know, that the Holy spirit came down and said, I'm going to give you this. An angel gave her this boy who becomes a man who then she has to watch be, you know, terribly like ridiculed, be put down by the state, and then eventually be executed in the most terrible way possible. And this woman never loses her faith. And it's like, are you that strong? Is there a Marvel superhero who's that strong? Like, this is the reason why she's venerated in the church, because you're not that strong. And so the male hero's journey, as you would expect, the masculine energy is external, right? He goes out and he conquers the external world. That is the male hero's journey. The, and, and of course, like even the, the male sexual organs, all of these things. And this is why it's, it's top to bottom, right? It, the patterns are top to bottom. The female hero's journey, she conquers the internal, the internal. Right. And it's like, so think about Snow White then in that vein. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Right. She's having a a conversation with her own reflection. Right. But she's externalized it. She's having an internal conflict about her loss of beauty, about her identity attached to her physical form. Does that not sound like our entire culture? Is that not Instagram? Mirror, mirror on the wall, black mirror on the wall, selfie. Mm. Who's the fairest of them all? I better put a filter on this. I better put a filter. And then scroll through. Did I get all the like? Who's this bitch doing my same thing? Looks like younger than me, more likes than me. That's the mirror talking back. That's the magic mirror saying, you're very fair, but Snow White, Snow White. And then what does she want? Because she hasn't conquered the internal enemy. She wants to kill her. She wants to destroy her. And this other little girl is just running around doing her thing like Maleficent was when she was younger. She's just going out and even the the little, the, the little simps, the, the seven dwarves, right? <laughs> Who she's not going to sleep with. She's not going to sleep with any of them. She can't. They're dwarves. They can't satisfy her. But they let her live in the house and then they go out to work. And, you know, she's nice enough and she cooks them a little something. She throws them a nude every once in a while. Little flash of something, <laughs> right? And they kick her down with the OnlyFans. It's the story. It's the story of our society. When, when did you when did you feel like 
Because in this broader uh, context of there being ages in which one um, version of the hero and or villain is dominant, the male or the female, when did you feel like, oh, we have shifted into the feminine age or the age where um, both the virtues and the downsides are going to be dominated by the feminine version of this hero's journey? Oh, well, I mean, I was one of the people who helped bring it in. Right. I mean, the, the, the fact that there could be a reality show about straight male escorts huh. and the whole entire thing. Like I spent all my day with wealthy, like financially independent, sexually independent women who were like they're they're presented in the show in a heroic vein. Hmm. Right. Like these women, what they're doing are are role models. Oh, isn't that great? I wish I could do that. I wish I had the guts to go and fly to Vegas. And so like I, that, I was dealing with women who were doing this. So for me, it was very obvious that our culture had changed. Hmm. And what I found, what I find interesting is that show. So from 2010 to 2016, you couldn't have done that show in 2008 and you couldn't do the show now. Hmm. It would be considered way politically incorrect to do that show now, right? And that's interesting. You know, it just shows when you talk about speed of change. Yeah. You know, you talked about that initially, that that's what surprises people. Didn't surprise me at all. Because, see, that's the nature of momentum. It's a, it's a, a, a boulder rolling downhill. It's, it's slow and small at first. But it picks up speed to a terminal velocity and it picks up things around it. And then it comes out of nowhere. Right. Then it's like, oh, my God, it's shocking. Boom. The boulder hits you and just blows you away. And I never saw it coming. And so but for me, see, I was I saw it as a pebble. I was riding on the pebble. And so it was very obvious to me that we had moved into the, the feminine age. And it was also very obvious to me that we weren't talking about it. Hmm. And then when Me Too came, that was like. That was when I said, okay, this is obvious. Anybody who doesn't see this is going gonna, is gonna to have a real problem. And most people, because it was so politically charged, didn't see, were not able to step away and objectively see what had fundamentally changed with Me Too. And what fundamentally changed with Me Too was, if you didn't see that, that, was, that the patriarchy was already smashed, like it wasn't about let's go smash the patriarchy. The patriarchy is smashed. Look who was taken down and look how they were taken down. Look what's happening with Cuomo right now. Like if you need any more example, look who's taking down Cuomo. Like a bunch of aides and interns who, who just share their story in some tweets. And then, and then he, and now they're doing an impeachment investigation. The patriarchy's done. If you think we're living in a patriarchy, you're not paying attention. This is not that. This is yeah, so not that. It's funny, you know, you mentioned that like I can look back and see, you know, that that analogy of the the pebble, the boulder rolling down the hill. Like, oh, if you realize that these early things that happen, hey, there needs to be more female representation in X or Y. If you realize that's not like an isolated movement or thing, that is the beginning of a new era, then you realize, yeah, I don't think it's 
of course they're going to cancel Dr. Seuss in 2021, right? Like where's the boulder going to end? And, and you can predict not just the, you know, the villainous aspects of the being in the feminine age, but the heroic aspects, right? I'm not, without even putting a value judgment on it, like whether or not it's a good thing that Dr. Mm -hmm. Seuss is canceled. It's not shocking if you understand the momentum of that type of age. It's very different from the momentum of a, of a, you know, masculine dominated epoch or era um, where it's like restrictions, order, whatever. This is about post facts, if you will. We don't care about the facts. We care about the feelings, the intention, right? The things that have both positive and negative attributes of women, the intuitive feeling more than the, you know, rigid uh, analytical type of, you know, things associated with the male archetype. So it's funny. Yeah. In retrospect, I'm like, oh yeah. Oh, I totally would have seen what Vin saw, but I didn't see it at all. Right. And you did, (laughs) you had the map before I did. So, so yeah, go go ahead. ahead, ahead. No, no, please. I I think that's a, that's a, yeah, that's a very, this, what you just articulated is exactly what I've been trying to explain to people is that when people are like, what are, how, how is, what is this magic? How are you able to do this? And I'm like, dude, it is lit. It is not magic at all. (laughs) It is these patterns have been articulated by people for literally thousands of years. Like there's a reason. And, and, and so when you talk about it, it's not just the villainous, but it's the heroic. What I see as the heroic is that people are picking the patterns back up, mm. right? So like Jordan Peterson, he, the effect that he had on people. And again, like I interviewed him on my show very early on and we had had that like I think in February, 2017, and we had had the interview scheduled for four or five months. It was the entire reason I wanted to even do the Ben Armani show was to have this interview with Jordan Peterson. Because when I saw him, I was like, this guy's going to be huge because he's, he's talking about Campbell in a way that every, that young men can understand. And he's, but he's embodying it in many ways with the things that he's telling people to do. And he'd been doing it for a long time. And he like added the next piece. So I saw like, okay, this guy is the next evolution, but he's also using YouTube. He's also, you know, wading into the culture wars and all of this. This dude is going to be huge. Um, but what, I, what I've tried to tell people is that it's like, if you take on these traditions and you go back and you look at these stories and you don't think of them as, this is why Jordan Peterson's biblical lectures were such a big deal. Uh, like, and I said before they even started when he announced, oh, I'm thinking about doing these lectures on the Bible. I, there's a tweet out there. I was, I've been looking for it, but I was like, people don't understand that this will be like one of the biggest cultural happenings of our generation. You don't understand how big this is it, about to be. It's cute. It's funny. Jordan Peterson completely took me by surprise. I kept all of a sudden, everybody I knew was talking about him and no one was neutral on him. Mm-hmm. They hated him hated his guts, including a lot of like libertarian academics mm-hmm. that I knew. I think a lot of them were jealous that they've been trying to get attention for years and all of a sudden he gets all his attention or they absolutely loved him to a level that was disturbing. Like a lot of these like young frustrated men who like feel like women don't give them attention. Mm-hmm. They were just like, this was their dad. Mm-hmm. Like they were so, and, and so the first few times I went and like listened to a video clip or whatever, I was like, yeah, cool, interesting, insightful, practical stuff. I don't get it though. I don't get how you could either love or hate him with this much veracity. It took, and, and it's funny, I look back now, rewind a little bit. I remember 1999, 
because it was a great year for movies. Oh, Lord yeah. Of the, Rings, the Matrix, yeah. Fight Club, right? Yeah. And I remember that year thinking, hey, this is the first time in my, because, you know, I was, I don't know, what was I, 17 then? Um, but previous years, movies were never like um, mystical or like mythical. Movies were not mm. cool in the 90s like that. It, it mm. was like hard sci-fi or drama or action or comedy. But I was like, hey, you can make a movie that's like spiritually, that's like, hey, we're, we're entering a new age, right? And you start to see shows about ghosts and this mm -hmm. kind of stuff, the mm -hmm. mystical. But I thought that was like an observation that was contained to pop culture. I remember I felt kind of smart being like, I think we're entering a new era of pop culture where movies are going to be a lot more superhero. You know, there were no superhero movies in the 90s to speak That's of. right. They that's weren't right. taken seriously if there were. That's right. But I think I, I, what I saw with movies, I just thought it was like a trend in pop culture. There was something so much bigger that it was nested in. And I don't think Jordan Peterson would have taken me by surprise if I had connected those dots. Because it, like, it took me a long time. I started listening to his biblical lecture series. And again, I'm like, hey, I love this stuff. It's great. I grew up studying the Bible and this is a mm -hmm. really cool lens. It's much more deep than most pastors are, are preaching these days. But I still didn't get why people were so angered by it or so moved by it. Like it took me a really long time. So that's, that's a really long setup. I'm sorry, but this, this brings me to this. So I, I finally, I think I started to put the pieces together recently. And I've noticed for, for lack of a better term, I will call it Gnosticism. Something mm -hmm. like Gnosticism, very much on the rise. And I kind of think, mm -hmm. and I want you to tell me your take on this. I kind of look at it and I see it as like the Gen Xers, the 90s and the early 2000s, the new atheist movement, materialism sort of reached its peak. And the materialist mm -hmm. answer to the mind-body problem is the mind is an illusion, right? Mm -hmm. And now you have this reaction that's kind of this mystical sort of Gnostic idea that no myth and, and you know story and the spirit are important, but their answer it, to the mind-body problem is that the body is an illusion, that it's all mind, right? Mm -hmm. And I think both of those leave people, and you were the one that pointed me to that Jordan, recent Jordan Peterson interview with Jonathan Peugeot, where he's struggling with this. And mm -hmm. you said it's because Jordan Peterson He's coming at mythological thinking like a materialist. He's telling people mm -hmm. myths are important and they have value, but he's constraining it to purely the psychological. And yes. so it's like you either have to reject the mind or reject the body. And this, mm -hmm. there's, there's this merging of the two, right? Which sort of in Christianity is in, is in the person of one, of one person. Exactly, exactly. But I just, I think it's so interesting to see this happening that, you know, we, we moved into this mystical age, but it has this, you either have to be like, I'm going to go trip on DMT. Don't worry about it, guys. It's all illusion. It's all evil archons. Let's just get lost in the spirit realm and reject the body, right? Mm -hmm. Or else be a really frustrated, confused materialist, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and it seems like you're trying to kind of bring some resolution there. Yeah, but not, not, <laughs> I was about to use the word consciously, and that would be a gigantic pun <laughs> to use here. Um, in this particular discussion, I got to be careful with using the word, word, word conscious when we're having this discussion. Um, it's, it's as, it's just as a result of wanting to not have to have the conflict, mm. right? So, so that's an uncomfortable conflict to have. And for me, I want to get it right. And I want to, and, and it's weird because I have totally, 
like right now, uh, like I was I, like right now I'm going through uh, Orthodox catechism, right? And this, but this was not something that I sought out. This was something that absolutely found me and just like a practice of prayer that like, did I even know that I was starting in on a practice of prayer? And then like, and then it turns out to be the Jesus prayer. And then all the things, then I start looking at the Jesus prayer and it's like, whoa, why did I just intuit that I should be doing this thing in this way? And this like, whoa, I didn't know that. And then talking about certain things, not even talking, but just saying things online. And then people reach out to me, particularly uh, like Orthodox. And then it's like, through this weird scenario, wind up like with this Orthodox, Serbian Orthodox priest (laughs) who is a Serbian Orthodox priest, but is also like a black former tattoo artist from Orange County, California. Well, he sounds like a perfect fit with you, you know? <laughs> but it's like the probably the rarest of Orthodox priests in the world, but probably the only one that I would be like, yes, you're meant to be my spiritual father. Mm. Like, of course you were. How could it be anybody else, right? And then it's like, through, and then him helping me through you know, a discussion of, and it was like, we could, we could immediately dive right in because I'm like, okay, I'm doing this practice of prayer. Here's what's happening. And it's, he's just like, okay, this, this, here's this book by St. Sophroni. Here's this, here's a chat key. Here's how to, here's how to pray that boom. And it was just like level up. And at each step of the way, experiential, because the same way I was brought up in the church too, first the Anglican, then very evangelical, like um, Saddleback Church. You know what I mean? My father, my father went to a mega church. And so it's like, I fell off with that really, really fast. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm very experiential in my teens. I was like experimenting with like astral projection and lucid dreaming and meditation. And I was on the internet and doing these things. So it was like going to youth group and having somebody like give me a sales pitch that I knew (laughs) was a sales pitch. And I'm like, man, I've seen you around. Hey kids, you know what's cooler than secular music? Jesus. (laughs) Thank you. It's like, dude, I've seen you around. I know you're doing this to get chicks. Okay. Stop. So, and which is fine. Like, you know, but it's so, so I got turned off to that very early. And then, you know, I, I had my formal education is in philosophy and I was always like around it, but the, I would say like that Gnostic, that Gnosticism was very prevalent in me, you know, very prevalent. And it was very theoretical until I was inside the myth, Mm. right? And until I felt it feeding back on my physical, both in positive ways, but most importantly in negative ways, Mm. right? So it was like, I was so deep in the myth that it was like, I couldn't divorce. And, and in many ways, the myth that I was deep into had a component of my body involved, right? So the particular character that I was playing, I had to be paying close attention to my body. So the particular character that I was being has a body uh, that is a certain type, right? And so if you go and you Google Vin Armani, no doubt you're going to see what I look like at that time, right? <laughs> if you go into the images and it's like, yeah, it's not, not everybody looks not like that. If I told you that Vin is a, is a programmer, uh, so right. not, not the typical programmer body. <laughs> no. So, so I, I was 
like that, it was always present for me. There was no way that I could divorce the, the aspect of the body. And I think that this is the big, and this is like the huge tragedy, I think right now with Jordan Peterson, like it's, it really hurts me to my core. And I don't even know, I'm having a conversation with Paul Vanderclay, who I know that there's some like, we're having a conversation next week. And I want to talk to him about it. If for no other reason, than it might actually get to Jordan Peterson's ears somehow. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that is, he's, he's got to surrender to, to God, to the impulse to religion. He has to, otherwise he's going to die. It's going to kill him. And you can, you can see it. I saw it in the Peugeot interview. If you look at his recent interview with Brett Weinstein, the more he goes on in the way that he's going on, he's killing himself right now. Like he's literally committing suicide. Yeah, it almost kind of feels like he's going to be the last man standing in resistance to the sort of mystical spiritual mm-hmm. age. And, and at the same time, even though he's in resistance to it, intellectually, he has some of the best explanation and understanding of it. Yes. But experientially, it's so interesting. It, and there's such an interesting thing happening. So, you know, and, and we could map this onto the sort of moving from a masculine to a feminine age, because you sort of think of the masculine as having more materialistic um, sure. explanations of the world, the feminine, more mm-hmm. spiritual. There's something when at first you come across, let's say the Gnostic idea, which, which is very popular in among techies as with a, mm-hmm. with a veneer of tech on it as simulation mm-hmm. theory, right? Well, we're mm-hmm. living in software. Absolutely. Especially in an age where you have all this horrible shit going on. You got cities locked down and cops beating you up for not wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. And you just feel like, oh my God, like we're, we're like the world is getting dark and dystopian being like, Hey man, it's all an illusion. Don't worry. Right. Mm-hmm. It's very mm-hmm. like, ah, I like I'm free. But then you sit in that long enough and you're like, but it's not quite right. I'm like, I still, I'm still in a body. And this body is not just, you know, as what's his name? I think it was St. Francis said, brother ass, right? Like I just, yeah. I just treat my body as like this filthy meat suit that I'm unfortunately trapped in. That doesn't seem quite right. There needs to be a reconciliation, right? So like, mm-hmm. I feel like you can go too far down the mystical path, but I think Peterson is on the opposite. He just, he won't. He won't go be, he won't go beyond the meat suit in terms of experientially. Yep. Right. And it's, it's so interesting because it really, it really pinpoints. I, I remember when Reggie Miller retired from the NBA and I okay. felt like he was the last guy from the era when dudes were so competitive, they would yeah. lie cheat and even in a game of ping pong with their mother. Right. He was yeah. the last one from that era. <sighs> And when he mm-hmm. retired, it represented like a change, a full changing of the guard to now these millennial guys, mm-hmm. they're all nice to each other. They'd rather cooperate than compete, right? Again, mm-hmm. it's a new era, even in sports. It's it's a different era where competition is a little bit more collaborative, cooperative. It's a little bit more about popularity and Instagram. Yep. You you hop teams, right? You you move uh-huh. to different clicks and then you talk bad about the other click behind their back, right? It's mm-hmm. got a bit more of a social energy to it mm-hmm. rather than a competitive sport energy to it, which is more of a feminine than a masculine. But anyway, I see Peterson as kind of being like a transitional figure there. Well, you know, I have said that, and it's weird because it... it <laughs> Again, this was one of the ones of like, there's the map. But when he disappeared and with how he disappeared, I think it was it was probably when he first came back and had the conversation with. uh, I think when he had the conversation with his daughter about where he had been and all of that, I don't know what that was four or five months ago. 
um, when he first sort of was trying to come back on the scene and they explained how he had gone and, you know, had this, this terrible reaction. And then he wound up in a, in all these different places and a induced coma in Russia and all of this. I said, um, well, his pattern is John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. And I think like you just, you just described like that was John the Baptist's role. And, you know, people, it's a very, like, it's such an interesting story that John the Baptist, uh, particularly his execution. So like is in two gospels. I think Mark has the, has sort of the, the best it's not, it's not long, but it's like, it's pretty historical. So all the people in there are historical. Josephus covered it. Um, John the Baptist was, whether people want to argue about Jesus's historicity, there's no argument about the historicity of John the Baptist. Um, Josephus is like right in there on it. Like, yeah, this dude was definitely there. Like he's a historical person and the people who killed him are historical people. Um, So basically Herod, the same Herod that's around at the time, um, he marries his brother's wife who Herodias, who's kind of like his cousin in a way, like they're all related. Like, so they're all part of the Herod family. Dude, Vin, but, this is so, this is so wild. You're telling this story. Go ahead. Literally. I, I read the Bible most mornings. Yeah. I, ju- I literally just read this very chapter this morning. Well, it's not, it's, this is how it works, right? This is how it all, this is, this is, this is just, and this is why I say we have to just surrender, right? We have to just surrender to this. It's it, this is, this is what I have been taught. And what has been given to me is like, just surrender to it. Okay. <laughs> like, this is it. This is how it is. So basically, uh, she divorces her husband who's still alive, who's the brother of Herod Antipas, who is the Herod that uh, in the gospels that, that is that Jesus is sent to. And after Pilate and he goes like, they make fun of him and they're like, send this joker back to Pilate. We don't want anything to deal with him. Right. So he's the king of Judea. The reason she leaves her husband, who's called Philip in the Gospels, but is uh, Herod II, who's also called Philip I, is because there's an assassination plot against Herod the Great. He's kind of implicated in it, and, or at least his mother is. And so he's removed from the order of succession and is living as a private citizen in Rome. So you imagine it's kind of like a royal who was going to be king. She was the princess. She was going to be the queen. And he's kicked out of the royal family and he's living as a private citizen. And so she's like, screw you. I'm going to go be with your brother. And she's got a daughter from him, Salome. And so they take off to Judea. She somehow seduces Herod Antipas. He is at the time married to the princess of the Nabataeans. Nabatea is a, is a very powerful empire that's right below. Uh, that's that's like almost it's it's in the it's in Arabia, but it's like kind of nestled up against Egypt. And he divorces her, which is obviously this is a bad move, right? <laughs> so this was a political marriage. The king below is really pissed, but he divorces her to marry his brother's sister. Okay. So this is the this is the context. In this context, and this is why I say it lines up so perfectly with Jordan Peterson. And it's so different than Christ. What we know is that, so Christ is around at the time, right? He's rolling around. Do we ever hear Christ get involved in politics? So this is palace politics, right? What does John do? John starts preaching against this marriage, 
Okay. So he's out and about, he's preaching against the marriage. Now I find this so interesting because it's like, so think about Jordan Peterson's psychology lectures. Think about his biblical lectures. Think about the things that really had impact. Okay. You could take out all of his railing against the postmodernist, neo-Marxist. That's the least interesting thing he's talking about. It's the least impactful. It's the least thing that matters. It's not what people are following him for. It's not clean your room. It's not responsibility versus rights. It's none of that. It's not rules for life. You go look at this. And this is why I was so baffled. I look at his podcast and I'm like, I see like 30 hours on how the Bible is explained through Nietzsche Mm -hmm. and Solzhenitsyn and Jung and like interesting mythological structures. And then I see a three minute viral video of him telling some student on some college campus that he doesn't think he should be forced to call people by their preferred pronouns. And then it's like, we must destroy this man. (laughs) And well, that's the thing, right? That's John the Baptist. Yeah. Because it's like, what is John the Baptist's undoing? Well, John, this is none of your business. This has nothing to, dude, you baptize the Lord. You made this whole, the Holy Spirit came down on him and he went into the wilderness for 40 days and he came back out and he saved the world. And you predicted his coming. What do you care? Why are you talking about this, <laughs> this marriage? What, this is so beneath you, John. And yet he talks about it. And what happens? Herodias is like, Herod, arrest him, arrest him. And Herod is torn. Like Mark, this is why the, the gospel of Mark is better in this regard, because it's like he actually like he actually says Herod doesn't want to do this. And in fact, he liked John the Baptist. Even when John would say things against him, he listened to John. He liked listening to him. Right. He was he was taking at least counsel from John. And so he arrests John. And then we've got a situation where Herodias and Salome are kind of working together. It says that Salome like goes and dances for, for him. And Herod gets in a situation where maybe he's a little drunk, who knows, but like his court people are there, his generals. And he's like, ah, girl, ask me anything. Right. He's doing the, the, the classic, like King, (laughs) ask me anything, even half my kingdom and I'll give it to you. And she goes to her mother and says, well, what do I ask? And she says, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And Herod has to do it. And, and I found it so interesting when this Times, uh, Times of London or, or whatever uh, article came out about like Jordan Peterson and, you know, he responded and there was this, then they put the whole recording up and, oh, it's so terrible what happened. What I found the most interesting is the reporter keyed in on Michaela, keyed in on the daughter. And, you know, she starts referring to her as a Barbie and that she's stepping in and all of this. She's now the CEO of Jordan Peterson's companies. She's doing her own podcast. She's for the Jordan Peterson podcast. It's her voice that you hear when it first comes on. And it's like in that interview, even she keeps jumping in when the reporter, the Times reporter, and I understand this is the part that people are missing. Like the Times reporter is trying to get at like, well, you're a clinical psychologist. Might this not be a fully physical thing that's happening with you? This unexplained, like, might this be psychological, spiritual? And Jordan Peterson's like, 
well, you know, and he's going to start to go. And then Michaela's like, no, this is you had a reaction to a pharmaceutical. And this was a reaction to that. And it's like, oh, she's Salome. <laughs> and Jordan Peterson is both Herod. And he's John the Baptist. Jordan Peterson, the professor, the family man who had made his whole life the way that it was, it was that's Herod. That's the man who's playing within the institution. He's risen to, he's a tenured professor. He's risen to a point of prominence within the whole thing. You know, he's respected. And that gives him the platform to be able to say the things that he said. It's like he's listening because John the Baptist is always inside of him. The prophet is inside of him always. And it's there. And he's letting the prophet speak, right? Until... Yeah, and, I, and, and I mean, I'm not trying, I'm just, I'm saying a pattern here. I'm not trying to say that anybody even consciously knows this is happening. And that's why I said, I'm going to be careful with the word conscious, but you know, what through the, the biggest thing that threw him for a loop was his, his wife getting this terminal illness, supposedly terminal, that then it turns out miraculous cure. Well, that's interesting. Right. So, and then she finds religion off of that. That's, that's, that's basically the thing. And he can't go that route. But what's interesting is that you look at that and it's like, when I interviewed him in February, 2017, Tammy was handling all of his scheduling. Like when he was going and he was touring in the early days and doing these talks, Tammy was with him the whole time, you know, but then he does this book and then he goes on a book tour and then he becomes a, a corporate property. And I guarantee you, Tammy was no longer doing the organization of that. She was no longer involved. And so John the prophet was there and Herod had been taken away. And so what happens? Well, the prophet was killed. Family came, the desires, then the needs of family, his, his position as Herod, as the head of his family, came in and put the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And he literally lost his head. Hmm. I don't know how, like, how much more do you need? <laughs> he baptized so many people. Hmm. He that What you're talking about is a baptism. Yeah. Right. And he was either loved or hated. And it's like, again, the pattern. And, and, and a transitional repeats. figure, right? Like, Yes. John the Baptist represents the last of the old style prophets too, right? He's like the bookend exactly. to the old Testament sort yes. of, and, and what is, you know, what does Jesus do? He's like, I've, I've come to, to fulfill the law. And he basically reveals the law for something deeper, I guess, more spiritual, if you will, less yes. material than it was. But John, John was like in that old school tradition and he yes. made that transition, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he's the pattern. Yeah, he's the pattern of John the Baptist. And so again, it's yet another sign that we're in a new age because of course Jordan Peterson becomes, because that people are like, how is this happening? The rise of Jordan Peterson. How is this happening? Of course it's happening. How can, the question is not, how is it happening? The question is, how is it, how would it, if it, if it wasn't happening, we would know we weren't moving into a new age. Because this is the mark of a new age is you have to have the last of the old prophets. And that's, mm -hmm. and, and I've even tweeted, I said, Jordan Peterson is going to be remembered as the last of the enlightenment thinkers. Mm -hmm. He will be remembered as that. And that's, like, because and that's, the, that's it. That we're on the cusp of, 
of the dim age. I, I, yep. be, before I, have you heard of um, these two researchers? They had a book in like 97 or 92 called Generations. And then they had a book called yeah, The Fourth yeah, yeah. Turning. Fourth Turning, sure. I, I've just started to come across this. And I've heard a few discussions of it. And I heard one of the authors on a podcast, but I haven't read the book itself yet, which is essentially a theory that there are these you know generations and they start with uh, the English Civil War, I think, mm-hmm. at least Anglo-American tradition. These generations that every generation, you know, they go through this cycle of four different sort of types, dominant archetypes, mm-hmm. and they associate it even with the, um, you know, star signs and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but they're not, they're not woo woo guys. These are like social scientists. Yep. And the fourth turning, which happens every 80 ish years, is the winter. And it's this sort of the end of this cycle and it gets really crazy. And they made these predictions back in like the nineties of like Mm -hmm. probably somewhere in the starting around 2005, seven, somewhere in there, uh, you know, you'll have a crisis of some kind and then it will sort of in 2020 or thereabouts, there'll be, and they even predict like, like a pandemic. They, you know, when you look at it, you're like, Oh, like, maybe 9-11, the housing Mm -hmm. crisis, the whatever. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's a really interesting generational theory that has a lot to do with demographics, how that maps into, I think, some of these bigger cosmic trends Mm -hmm. that you're talking about. The So, as above, so below. So, if we're talking about reality, it should be at every level of resolution and, like, every way that we want to look at it, should be, if, if it's right, it will be talking about the same thing. It might just be at different levels of re- resolution, right? So even but if, this you have, idea- if you have one theory that works to explain the behavior of atoms, but it doesn't work to explain the behavior exactly. of planets, you're, you're missing something. It's no good. Yeah. And so we should look at that in psychological terms as well, because, and this is what, this is where I fall off with the new atheists, because their assumption is always that people are smarter now, and particularly that they, the new atheists, are smarter than these individuals. And it's like, really? You think you're smarter than like Augustine of Hippo? Really? You, do you think, you think you're smarter than Paul? Is anybody going to be reading your letters 2,000 years from now? Really? You think that you're that talented? Hmm, okay. No, I don't think so, buddy. I don't think so. That's a lot of arrogance. And it's like, they're not, it's not stupid people. So the idea that evil spirits make you sick, right? That there are entities that enter you and make you sick. Well, how is saying that speaking about a different pattern than the scientists are speaking about when they say, wear a mask? Why are you wearing a mask? So that the entities can't get in. It's a, it's a we call them viruses. <laughs> or uh, whatever, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you can call it a virus, but do you really understand what it is? Well, every day they're saying, we really don't know about this virus. This is something new. Like we have it. And it's like, no, you don't know anything. You don't, you think you know. And it's what our ancestors over, what the tradition is, all the tra- traditions are about, let's find a story that works. Mm. Like if you've got a tradition that's 2000 years old, what you're not seeing is you're not seeing all of the things that didn't work that they threw away. Mm. That's what you're not seeing. 
there's a common trope in a lot of uh, stories and things where you have maybe a priestly caste that's making everybody do all these rituals. And then at some point you find out that some of the priests very high up are like, Hey, we sort of know that some of this stuff is kind of yes. not really, but like, just don't tell anyone. And when you look at the hard sciences, you find anyone who's a specialist in their field and you dig deep enough into the specialization of that field. So I just happened to, this is right before Corona stuff started. I took a two week break from screens. I was having major health issues of my own. I took a fa- mm. I did a total fast physically, everything. Good for you, man. And right when I came back on was when they announced it was like March 15th. And I literally couldn't believe how much had happened in those two weeks. I was like, oh, okay, I'll get to watch the uh, March Madness. And they're like, it's been canceled. I li- but anyway- during that Wait, time, when were you, were you fasting at the end of February? Uh, it was March 1st to March. It was the first uh, two weeks of March. Dude, that is crazy because I went on a seven day fast up to, and the ending day was the first day of March. So it was, oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. I did like a 30 day cleanse, but only like the first four days were nothing but water. And then I introduced bone yeah. broth and then I, whatever, but, yeah. but I also took two weeks complete. I've never done this. In that's, my whole gr- life. that's beautiful. Off of work. Didn't check any emails, no screens of any kind, beautiful. but I was reading physical books. And I had just so happened to be like, I want to dive into some of this health related stuff. And I dived into virology and like biochemistry. And I read Kerry Mullis's biography, uh, which is the so- PCR guy. Right. And then after <laughs> I came back online, I see them talking about coronavirus <laughs> tests. And just out of curiosity, I Google, what are these tests? And it says PCR. I had literally just read this guy's life story, went deep into his whole debate on the AIDS thing and the, how you can't use PCR. It was it was mind blowing. So, but, but what I found was that you go deep into the study of virology and you find some really interesting things. People who've spent their whole life will say, they'll admit to, to each other. Yeah. We still can't explain the flu, for example, because we have many documented cases of a flu outbreak with sailors who are out at sea for two months, long past the incubation period, a thousand miles away from anyone. And they have an outbreak at the exact same time as people on land. We don't know how to explain it. One of those mysteries of virology. We don't really know if a virus is a living thing or not. We don't know what to call it, right? Mm. There's always mysteries on these when you go deep enough. But when those people are behaving not as specialists or researchers, but as public figures in their capacity as I'm representing virology, they just say, look, we don't fucking know, but let's just tell people, stick to the symbols, throw on a mask, right? Do the rituals, I don't need, I don't want to admit mm-hmm. to you. And now they go so far as to Google is scrubbing this shit. I just saw Google remove yep. or, or uh, yep. Some, yep. some academic press, PubMed. There was a study from like 2016, a dental study about on the effectiveness mm-hmm. of masks and reducing transmission of infections. And it found that there's basically no impact if a dentist wears a mask or they don't. And it was just a study in 2015. Probably nobody cared. It was pulled down because it said, and they had a little description. They said, Given the current political climate, we have removed this study because it's no longer relevant. They didn't say the data has changed. They, basically, it's like, look, we can't tell you the answers with science to a really good degree. So we're going to just throw some superstition on it. And like you said, I mean, it's no different from evil spirits did it, right? Like, it's really mm-hmm. complex. We don't really know exactly what did it, but evil spirits did it. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we just got to find something that works for whatever our ends are, right? And, and the ends of the people pushing for masks are probably different than the ends for people who are being told to wear masks, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I just so fascinating. That, I mean, well, this is, I think that now people get to live inside of the myth. Mm-hmm. So people get to live inside of the rise of the evil empire. And mm-hmm. the best thing that you can do for yourself 
is to allow yourself to live inside the myth. The people who are going to suffer the most are the people who are in denial. The people who think that there is something that they can do that is going to, that by doing these rituals, they will go back to the way that things were. But the fact of the matter is that that's not the nature of, the ri of how rituals work. You see, repetitive action, especially of particular rituals that are stand out, so sacred. So you have the sacred and the profane. This is things that are set aside. So wearing a mask, everybody wearing a mask and getting the vaccine or whatever, this has become a sacred thing. It is something that is set aside. It has a, a moral component, all of this. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to wear green socks for three weeks, you know, and, and whatever. That will change you too. Or I'm going to eat, I'm going to go vegan, you know, like, okay, yeah, that, that may or may not change you. I mean, it'll change you physically to where you probably don't want to eat meat and you can't eat meat anymore. That happened to me when I went vegetarian, right? It took me a long time to be able to eat, eat red meat again. But like actually changing the entire way that you communicate and wearing something that is completely conspicuous, like over literally over your face, that has a, a clear moral component that is this gigantic signal. You do that for months, and you can't go back to normal. Like that is, that's it. Like when they say the new normal, it's not, it's not some pablum. It's not the great reset. It's very like self-evident and causal that like, no, you just, it's a habit. You do something long enough, it becomes a habit. And then, you know, you expect that everybody else does it. It's something that, it's something so that I've noticed it's so interesting. So I'm here in Saipan. We, uh, you know, since I've gotten here, like out on the beach and in public, nobody wears masks, right? So, but it's so interesting to watch. So I've been here a year now, almost. It'll be a year in like a couple of weeks. And, you know, we're out at the beach on a regular basis. My wife and kids are out there every day, every day. And they're out there with these families. So that's there and they've got their little area and I go out and I play volleyball and we know everybody, no masks, right? No masks would be weird if any of us stepped out on the beach wearing a mask, right? But, you know, we'll go to the beach that's near one of the major hotels, the, the Hyatt here, and there's not a lot of tourists coming in, but there are like government contractors for FEMA and things like that. They're cleaning up from, there was a typhoon here a couple of years ago and they come in and then people will come in from the mainland, you know, to work for the government or whatever. And it's so interesting because They'll, they'll, they will have been in quarantine for five days. They'll get out of quarantine. So many mainland Americans. Then you see them on the beach and they're walking on the beach wearing a mask <laughs> and nobody else is wearing them. So they stick out like a sore thumb, right? But what's so interesting about it is that they, the look in their eyes and you can see it as they look at everybody else is that everybody else is the crazy ones. Not them who are the only, there have been, there has not been a single positive test on this island in 200 days. There's, there, there has not been in a year of the positive tests that have come off the airplane, there has not been a single one of them that has developed symptoms of any kind after testing positive. Okay. A year. These people come and we're the crazy ones because we're not wearing masks on the beach. Out there no, you're the never going back salty, to normal, buddy. You know, the salt in the air, all these things like, like give me, you know, uh, the, and this is another one of those things where I was like, oh my God, Vin, 
is on a different level with his understanding. Because I remember way back at the beginning of this shit, you were like, it might've even been before the U S made a big deal about coronavirus. Mm -hmm. You were like, masks are going to be around for a very long time. People are going to wear them. They're going to be proud of them. In fact, not wearing a mask will be looked at as something dirty and filthy. And this was before. And I was like, what? Because for the first like several months of lockdown and all that shit, masks had nothing to do with it. There was no masks. That's right. That's and right. then when everything started to ease up, all of a sudden masks came out of nowhere. And I remember some point in the fall of 2020, I saw an article somewhere where some lady was like, and then this person came at me with his naked face. Mm-hmm. And I thought, holy shit, Vin was right. It's like considered like dirty and filthy to not have a mask over your face. And people are like loving these. They're comfortable with them. They're wearing them alone in their car. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the mm-hmm. mythical power, you know, whatever you want to call it, all of the, the energetic whatever sent out into the cosmos of all these people doing this ritual over and over. It like literally changes the collective psychology that the fabric of, of our society, you know? And look at, but I mean, you know, you, and then you have the president doing this. That was the scariest watching this recent thing from Biden was so scary because. And, and I just think he's just such a doddering old fool at this time that it's like, he's just, he's just being puppeteered. And I think that a lot of this, this is why I say that there's a spiritual battle going on. I don't think most people are conscious. I, I think these, these people are, are possessed. I mean, well, that's okay, the best so way I, to I would, describe I, it. Yeah. Cause I wanted to ask you that. I, I want you to finish this, but if I don't mm-hmm. want to lose go this, ahead. Point, I, I really no, want to ahead. ask you, which was, I've heard you say several times that the people kind of doing all this pandemic stuff, which like, if you're a conspiratorial, basically at this point, you have to be kind of conspiratorial. Like there's a lot mm-hmm. of shit where you're like, why is this being pushed out? But I've heard you say many times the people pushing these various things out, these various government officials and whatever, that they are pawns. There's something behind mm-hmm. them that's mm-hmm. bigger than them. And I'm mm-hmm. curious what you mean by that. If it's just sort of the, the age we're in has an inevitability to it, or if you feel like there's some spiritual dimension, it sounds like you're about to get into that. So go for it. The So it's a pattern, right? And it's just like in the same way that you have the rise of Jordan Peterson or the rise of John the Baptist, like that brings this on, you know, the, the, the idea of the rise of the empire, the idea of like the, the, the fall that, that where the Kings with the rings become corrupt. And then, you know, that the land falls into darkness, the idea of the interaction with the machines turning into a situation where they breed everybody and put them in the matrix. And like, you know, you say, is this like, did it, was there a conspiracy that brought Jordan Peterson to the height that he was brought to? Like, was there a conspiracy? Well, you could kind of say there was, there was a lot of people involved who were sharing his videos and doing all of this, but like they were all acting in their own individual self-interest. And it was just like the culture was ready at that time. And the ancients, when they would see these sorts of patterns. So this is so big that like the thing with the masks, the thing with the vaccines that now it's just beyond. And I mean, this goes to the thing with, with Joe Biden, because here we here, you've got the president on TV and he's like, if we'll all just wear a mask, if we'll all just get the vaccine, then we can have small groups of people over for July 4th, for Independence Day. 
Like now, not big groups, not big groups, not big groups. We won't be able to do that. But if we will all wear the masks and we will all get the vaccine, we can have some, we can start to have some small groups. And it's like, yo, man, this shit is already like going away. The numbers say that it's going away. Like, what are you? No, it's not small groups. It's not because there's plenty of places that people, and, and that's why so many people were responding like, He's talking about small groups. I've been having, we've been having parties for six months in Florida. Like I'm not sick. I've been going to these things and doing it. And it's like, so, but then there are people who are anybody who's actually like done these things. They're not catching, they're not catching it any more than somebody staying at home. And we know this, like the numbers are there. And what you talked about, about virology, like this is just known, but we have. And, and so then you ask like, is Joe Biden even, it goes back to your point. It's like, he may even know that or have an inkling of it, but he can't say that. He, he, he can't. Like his incentives, his position, all of this, even if he believes that himself, he can't say it. And we know that they believe these things themselves because we've got the pictures of Gavin Newsom yeah. at the French Laundry restaurant and all of this. We know that they know it's bullshit. We know that they know that. But yet, so the, the, the question is, how is something that is so that has become such an organized narrative in and of itself how is something that is infecting the entire world how is it how does this happen like how is it organized in this way cuz it's organized it has an organization to it and that's what makes people conspiratorial that's well, it what was makes them so fast and utterly global like all at once, yes. every government in the nation at yes. once was like, with very little deviation in what they did, everything must lock up. Like just the, you, you just start to be like, what is, what's controlling all you don't, you shouldn't see that much uniformity. You, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, but, but we need to look at broader cultural phenomena. So we need to look at something like, look at something like Christmas and all of the symbols, symbols of Christmas, right? And it's like, they're disparate. They come from all over the place. Jonathan Pajot just did a thing where he was talking about how Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was like this character created in a Woolworths catalog or something, J.C. Penny back in the 50s and something. But here, even in Saipan, they did up on Capitol Hill, there's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer pulling a sleigh of Santa in, in the middle of the Pacific. And it's like, well, how, does, how do these things carry how do they move like how does everybody decide oh well we're gonna put rudolph how does everybody decide oh we're gonna do christmas lights you know and the and how does fashion happen you know how does how does everybody decide oh they need the yeezys how does everybody decide that they're gonna do their hair in this certain way how does everybody like how does everybody decide it's it, it is just how human beings behave but see the ancients understood these and they called these gods so they understood these patterns that the easiest way to understand these patterns is to start breaking them off into hierarchies of patterns of behavior and then matching them up with one another. So it's like, why on earth is, do the same people who are into feminism and then they're also into climate, the climate thing. 
And then they're also, they also want to wear three masks. And it's like, well, those seem unrelated to each other. And those same people who are like anybody who's against any of those things, what do they say? You're a Trump supporter. Anybody who questions them is like, you're a Trump supporter. And it's like, what? I hate Trump. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I hate him as much or more than I hate you. He's a narcissistic sociopath. And I've been saying that every day for years. Like, what are you talking about, Trump supporter? No, it's just that, look, these are the, the ancients would have understood this as there's a pantheon of gods. They're not all friends with one another. They represent different things. This is the daughter of this one. This mm. is the son of this one. They're in the same family tree, right? But they hate this guy. They've got an ongoing grudge. But when it comes to fighting against this guy, and then they're like, this is the god of war. This See, is the god of wisdom. Like, growing up with the monotheism I grew up in, when I, when I noticed magic entering the movies, I failed to connect that to the pantheon of gods and see it in the bigger picture. I thought it was just an isolated thing. <laughs> well, and so the, 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 I think that this is, I, I hope that this is rediscovered and I've been trying to, and this is something that is very strong still in orthodoxy, but not in Protestantism. And it's unfortunate. <clears throat> like the Orthodox, the Orthodox have always believed and Christians have always believed and Jews have always believed that there is not just one God. There are many gods. And clearly, I mean, if you, if you read the Gospels and you don't believe, well, you can't call yourself a Christian if you don't believe that there are demons that inhabit people and possess people. You can't, because that was like 80% of, of Christ's ministry on earth was exercising demons and healing the sick. So it's like, if you don't believe that there are demons, that there are powers and principalities out there, that there are other spiritual entities that are running around doing things, you're not a Christian. Sorry, you're not. Because if you don't believe that, you don't believe anything in the Gospels. Because like 50% of the Gospels is about that. And so there's always been a belief uh, amongst Christians that not only are there those corporeal things that are invading people, right? that there are higher powers and principalities and that there, there are these organizing systems. And that's when you, it's the same thing as the Greeks talking about this pantheon of gods and demigods. And then you kind of have heroes who are kind of a manifestation of one of these gods or whatever. The difference is what the monotheism says is that it's, it's, it's the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other God before me. I am the Lord, thy God. You will have none before me. You will not worship any others. They're out there. You will not worship any others, but it's the same thing as swearing an oath of allegiance to a particular country, right? Like when my wife became a citizen of the US, she had to swear an oath of allegiance that this was, that, that she would, you know, this was it, that she wouldn't swear loyalty to another one, to another country. And so it's like, this is, this is what it's about, but it's, if you don't recognize that there are these other self-organizing systems, then you're really in trouble. Like you're in, you're in big trouble, especially as a Christian, you're in really big trouble because like Christ and the, and the, his, his disciples, all of them, that was their entire thing was going around and chasing these things out of people's bodies. Like that was, this is, this is what the power is supposed to be that when you have a connection to the most high, when the Holy Spirit is, it's Holy Spirit and unclean spirits. 
the idea is get the unclean spirits out, get the Holy Spirit in. And then that then you can move along in a, in a means of health. And so what we have right now is a denial from the, we've had all centuries of materialism that has denied the, spirit, the spiritual realm. And it's like, okay, if you're going to deny the spiritual realm, you better replace it with a, a, a story or a narrative or a symbol or an observation that works as well. Because you know what? The I'm inhabited by evil spirits works really well. And do you know how we embody that and we know that it works really well? Judges, if you get arrested for a DUI or you get arrested for drug possession in the United States, you will be sentenced. Part of your sentencing is you will have to go to 12-step programs, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous. You will have to get it signed off that you were there and you will have to bring it back to the judge, a secular judge. Have you read the 12 steps? <laughs> It's an exorcism program. <laughs> yeah. It's an exorcism program. The, the, the steps is to say I'm inhabited by a demon uh, that I can't I, get out. I had a friend who, um, you know, he sort of realized one day, like, I'm an alcoholic. And he's complete atheist materialist. And in fact, the realization came because whenever he would drink too much, he would wake up in the middle of the night and see like a crouching demonic figure over him. And he would just say, I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. Poo poo, whatever. Mm -hmm. Part of my brain. One day he was driving and he's like some voice, not audible, like in my head just said, you have to get clean. You have to stop drinking or it will kill you. And he's like, I can't explain what it was. I don't know what it was, but I'm still an atheist materialist. He went through the 12 step program it wouldn't work unless he did it the way they say, uh, which is you must acknowledge or something. It worked. He's been clean ever since. And he just maintains to this day, I don't know how to explain any of that stuff that happened to me, but it worked, right? <laughs> and, well, and, that, and this is, but that's exactly what Christ says in the Bible, that it's faith. It's the faith that, that heals you. And there's a reason why it was called spirits. There's a reason why the temperance movement was a religious movement to make alcohol illegal. There's and the Greeks, Dionysus the, was the god of, of alcohol. Like it was to them, it was like, yeah, this is like basically drinking the drinking the the blood of Dionysus, basically. Right? No, Which is then go what, ahead. What's interesting, Vin. No, I, I'm just as you're going here. It's almost like, um, you know, and you're getting at this. This is a very Hayekian insight in a way about being humble about what you can know and what you can't know. It almost doesn't matter if you know what it is. Yes. It doesn't matter that my friend can't explain that. And it doesn't matter if a, if a Christian tries to explain it to him, they're probably going to be wrong too. What matters is if it works. And, and in this yes. way, magic or spiritual thinking is actually far more empirical than science, <laughs> right? It's like, we try a bunch of shit. And it works. Like I burn sage and somehow I don't have bad dreams anymore. So I'll just, well, and, and you know, and you know what, how that is because you burn sage. Like, believe me, our ancestors have tried burning everything except for sage, <laughs> but they're still burning sage. And this is why I say like, this is tradition. And it's, and it's very interesting that like, you know, I, I, I deal with now probably more 20 somethings than I expected that I would be dealing with at this point in my life, men in particular. And it is so interesting to watch that generation buck against the idea of tradition. 
like even the ones who like fetishize tradition, like trad, I'm trad and all of this, you know what I mean? But, but give them real tradition. Oh no, no, no. They, they, they buck that. Oh no. I want to go and pick. I want to go and pick and choose. I'm going to be a stoic. I'm going to be a stoic. And it's like, um, where's the stoic church? Huh? Like where's, where's the stoic meeting hall? Because I'm looking down here and I'm seeing a Christian church on every corner. There's Jewish. I'm seeing a mosque over here. Where's the stoic? Maybe the reason it doesn't exist is because the shit doesn't work. It's a historical artifact. It's something that people tried and then it was like, eh, it's a failed cult. It's a failed cult, right? It's got some stuff in it. Like you go and you read Marcus Aurelius and you, and you know, you read like meditations and it's like, wow, this is really cool. This is great. But like, is there really anything in there to, that's going to make, that's going to protect you and, and make it so that you can quit drinking? Like, is there anything in there that's going to take rage out of you? Is there anything in there that's going to help you get over trauma? Is there like, is there no, because the, the things that have stuck around for millennia. So whether that is Christianity, which is powerful, whether that is the Judeo-Christian tradition, whether that is Buddhism, whether that is Confucianism, Shintoism, whether that's plant medicine, you know, and ayahuasca that people have been doing for, for millennia in the, in the jungles, in the Amazon jungle, you know, whether that's Ibogaine that's being done in Africa, whatever it is, what you know is if the tradition is still around, it's because it works. And that's like when you say that the spiritual traditions are much more empirical, absolutely, absolutely, because they're not theoretical. And that's the unfortunate, and, and this is what I have been- and that And that burden to have to explain why something works is such an unfair, it's such a disadvantage if you want to live a good life, right? Which is one thing, you're in my teens, I got very into theology and I was very attracted to the Eastern Orthodox Church precisely because they have a, a greater emphasis on and comfort with mm-hmm. mystery and the Catholic mm-hmm. church as well, like the mysteries, right? Where the, the Protestant tradition is very much like you have to be able to explain everything in yes. an argument, right? In a logical argument. Yes. And this saying like, look, I don't know how or why it works, but it does, right? Yeah. Try it, experience it. If it doesn't work, okay. But if it works, just embrace the fact that you don't understand why it works. You know, that's okay. Like just relieve mm-hmm. such a burden from, from that conflict of like, I need to be able to justify this and explain it to people and I can't, therefore I have to stop doing it, you know? Well, and it's also, I mean, it goes back to your friend with the 12 steps, right? So do we really care? I mean, he, he was healed in a Christian context. Basically he was healed by Christ. That's, that's the truth of what happened to him, right? So I can say it that way, but it's like, even as a materialist, he's got to be like something, it worked. Yeah. And so, and so what is it? Do we really, and, and it worked because of faith, because at least he was so, and, and, and look, there's endless stories of this, of Christ in the Bible, of non-Jews, right? Who they were still able to get the blessing because even just, even if it was just in that moment, whether they were Roman, Canaanite, whatever it is, in that moment, they needed it so bad. It was so crucial to them because their child was sick, because they had a demon in them. Whatever it was that they were like, I'll have faith in this moment with this man. 
even if it's just this man in this moment, I will have faith. And they were healed. And that's your, that's your friend. And it goes right to your point that do I care that he turns around and becomes a Christian? Like I, first off, I don't personally, but I think that there are a lot of so-called Christians out there who for them, that story you told is unfulfilling where they would say, no, 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 you need to go to him and you need to explain to him why this was Christ and why he should be a Christian and why he should be spreading the good word to other people. And it's like, yeah, but that's not what Christ did. Like Christ just went and healed. Like if you had the faith and you were willing to do it, he, and, and then it was like, did he say you got to do something more than that? Did he demand anything more than the, than the faith required to get you healed? And you know what? If you want to get healed again, have faith again. And if you want to be healed permanently and into eternity, then keep the faith. But there's no, like those who keep the faith, the blessings are there for them. They're like, if you don't want the blessings, don't keep the faith, but okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? So what we want in the world is we want people to just have the experience and be healed. That's it. That's it. And if they recognize that that's Christ, fine. And if they're like your friend, who's just like, I don't know what it is, but it worked. Well, he did the practice. He called out. He didn't know who this, who this entity was, or this individual, or even that there was an entity there, but he called out for somebody and somebody called out to him. And, and there is an answer. And I think that I would, I, I think as we move into a new age to step out of that materialist Christianity and to step back into like, wow, let's have the mystery would be amazing. Yeah. Vin, um, I, I know we're, we're going on for a bit, but if you have, if you have a little bit longer, this is totally, oh, I've like got, you. I've got time for you. This is a, okay, this is a great conversation. The, sun, yeah, the sun's really going down this. on my side of the globe. It's going okay. up on yours. It's going up over here. Yeah. <laughs> this is totally out of left field, but you know, given everything that's going on in the world and all the, the, you know, emergence of the mystical and we see that, you know, in the devouring mother and we see that with all the coronavirus panic and all this stuff, there's this one phenomena that just, it's a little bit out of left field. Now I have some okay, ideas how it ties in, but I'm curious your thought. UFO shit. Yeah. What in the world is happening that all of a sudden, if you would have asked me five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, cause I like grew up, I loved the X-Files and all that stuff. This is like stuff you never, ever met someone who claims to have seen a UFO or if they did would ever talk mm -hmm. about it. You never, ever saw anything but joking coverage or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. You might see somebody claiming every, ah, poo, poo, poo. All of a sudden, you can talk about UFOs on Joe Rogan in the New York mm -hmm. Times. You can say, yeah, the government studies these things. They're real. And it's like, and everyone's just like, yeah, okay. There are UFOs, mm -hmm. right? People have, and stuff keeps getting released more and more at like a more rapid pace. Where does that phenomenon fit in? Obviously a more magical age, open to more possibility, but it seems like there's just something really weird going on there. And I keep waiting to figure out like, like there's, there's a game here. There's an angle. Where's this going? You know? Mm -hmm. My, uh, so my, my wife breathlessly about it's funny you bring that up about two weeks ago breathlessly rushes in and is like we saw a ufo at the beach today and her <laughs> friend actually took video of it and like and it was weird because on that same beach doing morning prayers with three other guys a few weeks before we saw ufos 
And like, I even tweeted about it and I was like, what are they? And people were like, oh, there's satellites. And then I looked, there's a satellite tracker. I was like, there's no satellites that were cruising through there. And like, we saw multiple of them and we were tripping out. We were like, what, what is going on? This is crazy. And all of us left like, okay, that was weird, <laughs> you know? And yeah, you're right. I mean, Joe Rogan is into it, but then like this Oumuamua thing, this thing where they were like, yeah, it passed through and then it went back. And then people are like, this is probably alien guys. Like, <laughs> so yeah, it, it, I think what happens, I think, I think this is a, uh, this is like a tower of Babel. We're having a tower of Babel moment right hmm. now. And there's much more, there's obviously there's much more in the universe. It's not like people haven't seen things in the sky for a very, yeah. very long time. Right. Um, and I think that this is about this, this materialist, the universe is much more packed with entities and the space between the corporeal and the non-corporeal, the abstract and the concrete, the veil is a lot thinner than we give credit for, right? And so I think that what is happening now is that that veil, like we call these things UFOs, Okay. And I think that there are some people who have for a long time said that these are like spiritual things, that these are not necessarily aliens, that these are something that is just exists in reality and we're just starting to notice it. And as our, our, the equipment that we're using to make measurements gets more sensitive, we're going to start to see a lot of these things. And look, I mean, that's, that's what this coronavirus thing is because as I like, you know, I was sitting and talking uh, with the the wife of one of the ER doctors here, who's kind of she's she's woke, she's bought into the whole thing, and we we you know we've been talking and and I was like, listen, so there's been no cases on island, positive cases, and there's been like 150 positives that have come in off the plane as they've like tested the people, and then they put them in a 14 day quarantine. Not a single one of them has developed any symptoms. And then I said to her, you know, let's just think about this. Like she's a lawyer. And I'm like, let's just think about this. What does that say? <laughs> like, wouldn't you think, like, just hear me out. Wouldn't that indicate that this, that there's actually been no coronavirus here and there's been 150 false positives. I was like, maybe if there were like, 20% of the people that, that got symptoms, maybe if there was even one person that got symptoms, then I would be like, okay, well, maybe it's just an ultra sensitive test. And that, and that's what she said. Well, you know, it's probably just that they, that this test is ultra. And you know, this from the PCR, right? That it's like, <laughs> they picked the perfect test for this, that it's like, it's probably just that the test is ultra sensitive. And it's like, they had a little bit, but not enough to get them sick. And then I'm like, but if it's not enough to get them sick, can we really say that they're infected? Like, cause you've got billions of viruses in your body right now that are, that are causing no problems. So it's like, at what point do we say you are actually infected? And, and then you just look. And so this gets to the point about the UFOs is that it's like, we can see things now that we couldn't see before. So to our ancestors, like who didn't have a PCR test, this just, you just don't have, you just don't have it. It just doesn't exist. 
But then all of a sudden, when you have a PCR test, it does exist. And it exists in a way where people could say, no, we have evidence. Here's the evidence of its existence. And I feel like this is very much the same way of the shit they're doing at CERN, like looking for the Higgs boson. And you're like, well, can you see the Higgs boson? No, we can't really see this thing. But the theory says that we should be looking for like this residual thing of a particle that will do this. And then we've got evidence of its existence. And it's like, do you though? <laughs> do you? You know, I mean, that doesn't sound that. So this to me is a tower of Babel. I think when a culture gets into a, that place, like what is really the difference between saying you're living in a world of evil spirits, except for the fact that there is no utilitarian use for you measuring that. And as a matter of fact, as the coronavirus thing with the PCR is showing, it's counterproductive. You would prefer that you didn't see it because it's having no effect on you negatively deleterious for you to not see it. But when you do see it, you freak the hell out and you destroy your economy and you hurt people by your seeing it. And yeah. that there's your, there's your UFO. There's your ghosts. There's your werewolves. There's the hanging the garlic on the door because you're freaked out about vampires, right? It's the same thing. Yeah. It's so funny because it's <clears throat> trying to get to the difference between superstitions or rituals that have a beneficial purpose, even if you can't explain them versus those that are destructive. And this is, this is maybe a crude way. And I'm, you know, I'm a economic thinker and, you know, <laughs> come from a classical liberal tradition. So I, I bias this way, but when something emerges over a long period of time, a, a ritual, a, a superstition that's emergent again, because it's, because it works, it stands the test of time. It's, it's like, Hey, doesn't really matter how much you can prove it's true if it's useful, right? When something is a superstition is or a, a ritual is imposed by a group of experts that say, just do it, right? It's like, we're going to start from a blank slate and we're going to create a brand new ritual. It's like people trying to create a new language. How does that yeah. work, right? How do you create- Esperanto, nobody speaks Esperanto. Exactly, right? And so you have these absurdities where like, People's hunger for ritual and spiritual practice, because we've come out of this age where it's been stripped away and now we're entering an age where it's dominant, they're hungering for it and they're looking around and they're getting this group of experts who are saying, we'll give you one, we'll give you a ritual. It has no grounding in, in historical tradition. It has no empirical, it hasn't had time to sort of well mm -hmm. up organically. We'll just hand mm -hmm. it to you top down. And it's so wild, the absurdities and contradictions. And this is why people who are stuck in the materialist age and still a lot of libertarians fall into this. They want to argue with facts. And it's like, you can't, because when I can go on TV as a sports fan and every other sports fan, we can watch a game where the announcers will say, six guys can't play because of COVID. And then they'll explain to you, they all get tested every day. If they test positive, they get to take two more tests and if bows are both negative, then they still get to play. All the fans hear this, which immediately should tell you, oh, the test is unreliable. It means nothing, right? We all know this. And then they'll say, and they've got a social distance and all this stuff. And they've got to wear a mask. When they sit on the bench, they wear a mask mm -hmm. and they're six feet apart. But when they're in the huddle so they can hear each other or when they're playing and right. literally face-to-face -face breathing on each right. other, they take their masks off. Right. But then they go back to the bench and put it back on. We all see this. If you witness that and you still go outside and put on a mask, you cannot, you cannot talk to that person 
with arguments and facts because mm-hmm. they already know in a way they know that they are doing something that doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense. And in the religious context, right? That's okay. Embrace the mystery if it works for you. But in this mm-hmm. case, it doesn't work for it. Like it doesn't work in, it, for the reasons it's said it's supposed to work at keeping you healthy. It's doing something for people, but there's this very mm-hmm. unresolved, like, why, what is this doing? We should explore what it is that makes us want to do this. Cause there's something lurking there. That's very troublesome. This, uh, no, I mean, you've hit on it. We, ha- we must have, well, this is, this goes back to David Mamet. This goes to what he's talking about in that book, The Three Uses of the Knife. He says, you cannot escape drama. When we tire of Zeus, we invent the pantheon. Mm-hmm. He's like, There's, we cannot escape needing ritual. We cannot escape needing drama in the spiritual plane. We cannot escape the hero's journey. We cannot escape needing to live inside of a myth because if we are not living inside of a myth, our life does not make sense. Now, what happens is, we are going to live inside of a myth regardless. And the way that it corrupts is basically twofold. Either one, somebody who understands the myth, who understand, and this is, this is what happens in Star Wars. This is the rise of the emperor, Palpatine. Mm-hmm. So he's a Sith, right? He understands that he, he teaches Anakin mythology of the Sith. Right. He tells him, I guess, oh, have you ever heard of Darth so and so? Like he's a master of mythology. And so he's riding the mythological and he's making these little moves. You see him make these little moves to push it in this direction, push it in this direction. Right. There's very few of those. Very, very few of those. What happens is, and this is what I see really, I see a gigantic danger on the right. There's a huge danger on the political right right now. Um, and, and I will tell you where it comes from. The danger on the political right is not from the religious. Although this is what the left and the Church of Woke is, is going after in force. And that's just because that's the enemy that they know that they can take out now. So the idea is take out the Christians now. Right, because they're they're going to be the last one standing. I mean, that's the idea. That's the remnant, right? Like, take take out the tradition, take that out now, right? Because we've got another enemy that a big a, a big enemy that we're going to deal with. So we should take these guys out now because they're going to be when this guy's gone, they're going to be the the final ones. The enemy is the this section of the right that I'm seeing that is now, and and they're the they're the children of Jordan Peterson that have embraced, so I'll give you a prime example. Uh, one, one of the people who's the embodiment of this right now is Sargon of Akkad, who has I've found- I've heard of this guy, but I don't know yeah. who it is exactly. So he, Carl Benjamin, he was, he was one of these people who, you know, suffered in the, the sort of censors. He's one of these, it's a lot of these British guys. You know, he, he, he was canceled. He was a part of the whole cancel thing. He was brought, you know, and it's like, very intelligent guy, willing to talk about the spiritual and the mythological, but it's like, no, you know, I've really just fallen back to like Aristotle. I'm just going with like Aristotle. And it's like, or the guys who are like, oh, the Stoics, you know, I'm, I'm falling down. I'm going to fall into the Stoics. And what happens in this regard is that like, they're, go- they're going back into the material, the materialist, they are playing out the myth, but 
they they do not recognize it as a myth that they're playing out and they do not want to recognize the spiritual plane everything is materialist and what is going to happen they are that is going to be the movement that is going to be the response to woke and we will see that like that is going to be the reaction and the strong man that comes up like this is how you're going to get a, a hitler the strong man that comes up through that like if there is an embodiment of the antichrist like that is going to be the the group that it comes from why because they're incredibly articulate they're absolutely right about everything that's wrong with the church of woke but yet they view everything from a materialist vein and one of the things that you will notice with these groups and some of these groups are the ones some of these people are the ones calling themselves trad by the way like using with, uh, tra tradition. Would this overlap with like the intellectual dark web or whatever they call it? Yeah, you know, they're like the, so they're the progenitors of this okay. in the same way that like the Frankfurt School is the progenitors of the woke. Okay. So like, so, so they are the theoretical and yeah. high end version of this that are like not an actual threat. They yep. don't actually want to take political power and they have a nuanced view. Yep. It's not a simple, narrow it down, give it to an 18-year-old view. You know, in the same way, like my younger brother, he's a Marxist sociologist professor. He's a tenured professor at Stanford University. You talk to him about Marxism, it doesn't sound anything yeah. like what Antifa's talking about. Yep. You're like, oh, well, that's actually, that's reasonable. But the thing is like, no, 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 it evolves because it's too complex. It's too nuanced. You go People from, not, uh, what's his name? Uh, you go from a uh, Curtis Yarvin to a uh, yes. Pepe meme on 4chan. Exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. And this is what we have to be conscious of. See, because Christianity as a Pepe meme still works. This is something that my spiritual father told me that I cannot stop thinking about is that it's like, and it's in the, it's, it's, um, which, which saint, I think, I believe it's Basil. I believe it's St. Basil, but then there's a, also a, a Russian saint that it is as well, um, who, who, who expanded on it further. But it's, in, it's actually in the Catholic Catechism, uh, but it's, I believe it's, and I'm almost positive that it's Basil. But he, he says, you know, you can approach God in three ways, like as a slave to where you're scared of the, the results if you don't do, as a mercenary. To where, and that's kind of your, your friend in the 12-step program yep. who's like, I'll do it to get the reward, yeah. right? And, and I think most of us, if I'm honest, I'm a mercenary as well. Like, but he says, what you're trying to get to is the son, to approach as a, as a son, that you're doing it because this is my father and I'm honoring my father and what I do. And that's a, that's a, to get there, especially when you're getting the rewards, it's very easy to be a, a mercenary. And the thing that these saints say about it is, all three work. Hmm. All three will result in you leading a righteous life. You got, you got Han Solo, right? There you go. He's a mercenary. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yep. And, and, that, and, and the, that very much appeals to guys like you and me, because we're radical individualists. Yeah. Right? And like we, well, and, and the droids are slaves. Yeah. Right. So R2D2, mm -hmm. he's a slave. C3PO, he's a slave. But it works. It works. All three will lead you to the promised land. Hmm. And so, and so, what we so what we've got going on though is 
is that these, you know, Christianity, when it's a 4chan meme, even if you're operating as a slave, that tradition, and, and many other traditions as well, right, is if they're not corrupted. This, I, I include Islam in this, because there's corrupted Christianity, there's corrupted Islam, right? I include Judaism, same sort of situation. If you're following the real tradition, you know, you're following the tradition and you're scared to, to shit of God, and so you're just following the commandments, righteous life. If you're following and it's like, I'm getting rewards for this and it's in my incentive to do these things, righteous life. If you're like, I, this, is my, the, this is the father and I'm doing these things, all three do the same thing. This is not true with the Marxism. And this is not true with this other thing that I'm talking about. That is that we don't even know what it's called yet, right? So it's like as bad as the church of woke is in their chaos, the answer will be order. So the answer to the devouring mother is the tyrant, mm. the hero that becomes the tyrant. That is the answer. And what is coming is the tyrant. And also what you will notice that's, that's key is now Sargon of Akkad, he was part of the cancel culture and all that. He's escaped it. He's escaped it. Keep, the guys keep talking. Who, I'm grabbing a, yeah, a book. Real go quick. ahead. The guys who speak in this way, and it's mostly all men, but the men who speak in this way, because they're not using religious terms, they're not directly going after the church of woke, they're drawing back on these, these sort of ancient philosophical traditions, they are not getting canceled. They figured out the way to get under the radar. They figured out the way to be not offensive. And this is going, and, and they are the children of Jordan Peterson for sure. But what comes out of them is they are going to demand, what you'll notice from all of them is they fetishize the state. And they are going to demand authoritarian rule. They're going to demand it, that this is how we get there. And the strong man that comes out, and it will come fast. The strong man that comes out of this, and this is the pattern, this is the map, is going to be seriously a problem. Much worse than the Church of Woke. They're going to keep all the authoritarian shit. They'll keep the masks. They'll keep the vaccines. They'll expand the vaccines. They'll expand the mass. They want to lock down the travel. They want to lock down thought. They want to do all of this. It is, and they are going to have no excuse for it. It's not going to be like a political correctness thing. It's just going to be like, we know how to shape society. Hmm. This is how we know how to shape it. We let you run wild over it. Look what you've done. And the people will clamor for it. The people will demand, yes, yes. And, and, they, and they will be just as aggressive against the Christians. They will be just as aggressive against religion. So people, you know, we have to be careful, but it's, it'll, and it'll be, again, it's this new crap. The answer and the solution is tr just tradition. Hmm. That's it. It's, it's funny because... <clears throat> You know, I, I've, I've been thinking a lot during the last year and a half about Hayek's phrase, uh, or no, I think it was Mises actually, um, planned chaos. Mm -hmm. And you contrast planned chaos with emergent order. And I, I tried to put some of these words down into a, a blog post sometime last year, but the, the cold technocratic, sort of the scientific technocratic state that I see very dominant right now, certainly with all the coronavirus stuff. I mean, literally, you're literally a prisoner in your own home because of some scientific technocracy. Mm -hmm. And literally, the order 
cleanliness, remove all uncleanliness. You're literally sanitizing everything, right? Mm-hmm. You think of that as order, but really what is it? It's chaos. It's creating chaos. It's this, this planned chaos versus emergent order. And I'm sure you've seen that image. It's gone mm-hmm. around the web. It's got the, the pine needles all stacked up. Oh, yeah. It's like yep. chaos. And then it has a pine branch with the needles all beautifully. And it says order, right? And the emergent order, the norms, traditions, that the way the market looks, it appears yes. chaotic, but it flows. It's harmonious, right? Yes. It has this beauty to it, this creative power. That's the version of the devouring mother, the creative potential that, that beautifully marries the order of the father, right? Of the, the, because it has order and predictability and structure, just like language does. Language, you can make up words, but at the same time, it's really hard to make up words. It's this beautiful interplay of creative potential with boundaries and order. And that's the emergent version and the imposed version of either, right? Imposed chaos is just destructionism. It's the Antifa riots, just burn shit down. And imposed order is another form of chaos because it's just like, you impose this shit and what happens? You have shortages, you have bread lines, mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. skyrocketing prices of assets and nobody can you know, move to a different home. You have a collapse of, you know, right? Like you have hospitals that are empty and other places that are full. You've got, so it's just, it's such a, I, I have very much felt like the, the big looming threat is not so much, as you said, the crazy let's cancel Dr. Seuss, but the very, the, what that does to increase the appetite for a response to it, you know, and that's- the, and the uh, what would you call not the appetite? Yes, but I think also then when it is imposed, the um, tolerance for it. Yeah, yeah, that that was my people big, have a huge tolerance. I had like a I was like relieved to see, and I and I have not watched the news or followed it for so many years now. More and more of it leaks onto my Twitter feed, or it did up <laughs> until the election. Now it seems to have vanished largely, but. Um, but I noticed, I was like, if Trump wins, I can imagine a huge escalation in like lefty ish riots. And then the right will gleefully call for martial law. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and I was really worried about Biden winning was actually like, oh good. We've temporarily reduced people on the right now don't Mm. want martial law because the commander in chief is seen as, you know, a, a lefty or whatever. We've like temporarily avoided that, but I still feel like something like that is, is looming where it's the, you know, the, the people on the right who currently feel like they're the victims and disempowered in the, in where culture is going, but the, the clap back Mm. will probably be ugly. Well, so yeah, I I think one of the important things is going to be for us to shed the right left paradigm for what comes next. It's, it's kind of really hard to maintain it even at this point. It, 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 it I find myself like yeah. talking and like getting really complicated to try to make it make sense. But it's but I, I mean, so we're going to struggle with that because we're we're moving we're moving past that paradigm. Right. Like the, the, we, we definitely there's still going to be a dichotomy. There are there's always yeah. the polar opposites. Right. But now we just have to reorient to again, like what is the story that we're in? Right. Who's who's this side? Who's that side? And I think the what's going to be interesting about who's going to come who's going to come up in this period because what you're already seeing is you're seeing the left fracture and trump being removed see i i'd said i said this i was like look donald trump is the only thing holding the left together 
Like the only reason why there is anything that is a coherent left is because there's Donald Trump. That's it. And the right has mostly been a reaction to the left. You know, the, the few principles are like, and it's funny because I see it. It's, you know, people ask about this place here. And, so, and then they're like, well, what are the gun laws like? And I'm like, okay, all right. I mean, you're asking about that, but like, what does it really, I mean, what does it really matter? Because if you were really scared about home protection, you would just have a, a gun regardless of the laws. Yeah. Right. Because there's plenty of felons who have guns regardless of the laws who never get caught with the guns and protect their homes with them. No problem. Like that's, if you were really concerned about that, that's fine. And in terms of, of government tyranny, do you need any more tyranny than we've got now? Like, what, 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 would it, what would it look like if not the last year? Were you out in the streets shooting people with your guns? No. So why do you care? Why do you care? And honestly, like, real revolutionaries, like, read, read War of the Flea. He spends, Tabor spends an, an, a huge amount of time talking about guerrilla war and talking about the fact that the Maoist rebels didn't start out with any guns. The Viet Cong didn't start out with any guns. The IRA didn't start out with any guns. They stole them. They literally went into the colonizers and they stole them. The Maoist rebels were fighting with pitchforks and shit. And then if they killed somebody on the battlefield, they'd pick up their gun and take it. That's how they got weapons. That's how they got weapons. It's about will. And, and look, didn't we just have an entire generation that was scared of guys with box cutters? taking over a plane and and destroying the world trade towers what are you worried about guns you could buy box cutters do you have the will and if you don't have the will that gun does you no good anyway you're just stockpiling toys to shoot at things like a child to shoot at targets right so it's like that's been that's all the rights got that that basically is the right in the country there's no other principles no abortion and guns Right. And the abortion thing is really like. There's again, there's people getting abortions regardless. There's going to be back alley. It's not, abortion has been a part of the human reality forever. And we know this because you can go to indigenous tribes and they'll be like, oh, yeah, you go out there and you eat that root. A woman eats that root and she'll have a, a miscarriage in every society. So it's like it's it's it's. If that's what constitutes your entire political ideology, well, you're just a reaction, basically. And so what's going to happen is this new movement is going to attract people from the right and the left, it, exactly as Jordan Peterson did, by the way. And that's why I say these are children of Jordan Peterson, is that it's not going to feel right or left to either one of them. It's going to feel like a solution, a solution, you know, and it's especially going to be young people because we've got a generations of people right now the youngest generations who are completely despondent and the answer that's going to come from these people is like it's going to be about this this coronavirus is going to still be it's still going to be about that still but they're going to be like we have the answer for you to have your cake and eat it too we and this is what they're trying to do with the vaccine it's not enough it's not enough and you'll notice that it's it's he's Joe Biden being like, you'll be able to have you'll be able to have small gatherings for July 4th if you'll do what I say. It's like, Joe, that ain't enough. That ain't enough, especially when you're late on these checks. 
And you know what? That $1,400, that ain't enough either, Joe. You got to think bigger. You got to give them more. Everybody's got their price. And it's gonna, it's, it is going to be like, look, you're going to take a vaccine. You're going to take four vaccines a year. It's going to be four. They're all going to be rushed out. But here's the deal. And yeah, some people will die and some other things, but we'll cover that up and it won't be a thing. Here's the deal. You're going to take these vaccines. You're going to do these vaccines, these vaccine passports. Anybody who's not taking this vaccine, they, get, they basically don't get to live a life. And this is what we're going to give to you. We're going to give, give all of this and you're going to be able to have everything back. Everything. There's going to be no masks. You're going to be able to travel. You're going to be able to go. You're going to be able to have all these people around. But here's the deal. You're going to have these passports and you're going to, be, you're going to carry your phone on you at all times. And, and your phone is going to be tied with your biometrics. It's going to be tied with your ID and it's going to have a ping on it. By the way, this is already on your phone, folks. And we're going to give you some monthly UBI. That's it. Uh, if you don't have a phone, we'll send you one. Well, no, but people need to look on your iPhone and your Android yeah. right now is so people are like, well, that's a weird conspiracy theory. No, no, no. That technology has already, it's been on your phone for months. It's been on your phone for months. Well, what is the purpose of this? The purpose is so that they can fly drones. Like that's what all this is about. You saw the NYPD, they've got these, the robot dogs now they're flying drones. So what are they going to do? They're just going to start going, going through flying drones they're going to fly drones over freeways boom that car is not pinging us it is not pinging us we've got a non-complier get them and you know what people will go for it why will they go for it because they're going to get everything back they're going to get everything back and you know yeah i, I want my, my to only like, skepticism on that vin is that i don't even know that people give a sh i've been so shocked at how many people oh, are they do happy to be in their home unemployed as long as they they got streaming and no. they got food delivery like no, I, I the have youth, been shocked the at youth. how little people care about getting getting the youth, freedom back the youth the youth it's yeah. young men it's good it's men in their late teens to early 20s so and they, that's why they i say won't revolt and they'll say they won't revolt against the whole corona thing in general they'll say Somebody come in and manage this properly so that we can get out there and get our, you know, get back out into the world and we'll put up with X, Y, and Z in order to get it. As long as we get it and we get clarity. I mean, think about, think about, well, well because why, right? What does a man, it's a, he's a human male. What does a human male in his late teens and early twenties <laughs> want to be doing more than anything else that he can't do right now? And second, what levels is he willing to go to in terms of making other people suffer so that he can do that? Hmm. Yeah. That's what people really play, really play it out. That really what they're offering, really what this individual is offering. And this is basically what Hitler was offering too. Like that's where all the genetic stuff comes in. That's where all the Aryan stuff comes in. That's where all of this comes in. Is that really what you're offering is, and, and, and you'll notice that's also the narrative that runs through the same group of guys that I'm talking about. They are very big on talking about uh, sexual fitness and genetic fitness and how you, know, you need to do this because it's like, 
It is a scientific approach because what are they offering? They're offering, whether you know it or not, as a young man, like I'm a, I'm a 40 year old father. I don't have those sorts of drives, but I remember, I remember the lengths that I would go to. I remember driving hours and hours to go see some chick just because I thought I might get late. I've traveled across the country because I thought I might get late. So the lengths, when, when this is being offered to somebody and it's like, we're going we're gonna to make it so you can get late again, buddy. That's what we're going to do for you. That's what we're going to do for you. And it's not going to be presented that way, but it's going to be understood that way. It's going to be understood. And the most dangerous thing that possibly exists is a pack of young males in search, in search of a mate. <laughs> in, in, in any, we're carnivores. A pack of young lions, a pack of young baboons. Right? What are they out? Look, what they, that's why they'll go and they'll take on a grown gorilla, pack a young male gorilla so that they could get at the females. They'll risk their lives. You know, this is the whole, oh, the suit when they were like, oh, the suicide bombers, they're doing this because it says that they're going to get 72 virgins and all of this. Like, whether that's propaganda or not, why does that hit? Why does that hit and people will believe it? Because that's yeah. the type of shit that a 17, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old man will do. You've di- so that's the danger. This is what no one is seeing. And, it is the re- and if you think about it, it's the reaction to the devouring mother. It is what they hate, is they're hating the devouring mother right now. Don't, I don't, I would rather risk getting coronavirus. I would rather risk giving everybody coronavirus to be able to get back out and chat up these girls to be able to get back out. And I can't even take a girl anywhere for a date. I can't do any. And even the ones that maybe I could, that maybe would think about it are scared. They won't go on Tinder because they can't, damn it, damn it. They're hating the devouring mother. So what do they become? They become the tyrant. They will follow the tyrant. Let's go kill the witch. Kill the witch. Burn her. She's cursed us. Well, that's the, well, what does the witch do, right? What is the main thing that she does? She curses the crops. Fertility. You're planting your seeds and your seeds won't grow. You're planting your seeds and your seeds won't grow. That's what they're doing. This is the threat. This is the next step. This is the nightmare. Live inside the myth. Live inside the story. You're being told. You're being told where the threat is. And that, so be, be aware. Like that is the message. That is the vein from under which it's going to come. And it's going to look very shiny, hmm. very articulate. It's going to resonate men the way that Peterson resonated with men. See, Peterson's the wise king. Clean your room. Get your life in order. Right? But then you also see, like Peterson said, well, why do you get your life in order? You get your life in order because you're going to have a family. Like, that's why you're getting your life in order. Like, what is the greatest thing? This is Peterson, and this is what took him down. It's his family. His devotion to his family. You know, he gave up. 
he gave up being the most famous intellectual in the Western world. He gave it up to take care of his family because his family was in need. He gave his life for that. That's the wise king. But you the know, tyrant is uh, going to offer so much. So we, we, we got we to gotta bring this up. We didn't even get to Bitcoin. I was going to talk about how <laughs> people like to make fun of how Bitcoin is like a religion, but you kind of embrace that. You've got this book coming out, Render Unto Caesar. We'll have to, we'll have to do that another time. because We'll do it another time in the Bitcoin world. But, but I grabbed this book because I wanted to read this quick little section. Yes, please, please, please. I've been reading the um, rereading. I read this way back and loved it. The, um, the Space Trilogy by C.S. Lewis. It's a trilogy mm. of novels. And I've been thinking a lot about it because in the final book in the trilogy, That Hideous Strength, there's this cold scientific technocratic sort of dictatorship. And it's basically at war with the old ancient mystical magic of like Merlin and the Greek gods. And yeah, oh, cool. you know, Lewis likes to tie all the hero yeah. with a thousand faces, right? So the first book in the trilogy, Out of the Silent Planet, the character is on this other planet and he's just sort of getting a premonition about the way life on this planet works. And he's hanging out with these kind of lowly fisherman creatures that sing songs and catch fish. And there's these other kind of higher, more intellectual creatures. And then there's some other entity he hasn't met yet that he's very scared of and they treat it like a god. And he says, he's, he's musing to himself about what this world is like. He said, it would be a strange, but not an inconceivable world. Heroism and poetry at the bottom, cold scientific intellect above it, and overtopping all, some dark superstition, which scientific intellect, helpless against the revenge of the emotional depths it had ignored, had neither the will nor power to remove. And it reminded me so much mm. of, of what you're saying, that what appears to be the sort of cold scientific intellect that is, you know, in charge at, at the top right now that you have said, no, these guys are, these guys are pawns to some greater, darker force, you know? Um, I thought that was just a really, really interesting passage. I mean, I think it's a, I, I think it's a, a brilliant way to end it. And I think that it's something that people should, people should think about and consider. And yeah, the key, the key is to live inside is to not discount these as great, great stories. You know, they, they stick around because it's a description of reality. And, and, and how do you that, that, bring us home with this, bring us home on a hopeful yeah, note, please seeing the myth is empowering in a way, but it can mm -hmm. also be depressing. Cause you're like, Whoa, these are some great forces at work here. And there's this, this rolling tide that I can't stand against. How do you navigate it or work with it in a way that brings you the best possible outcome and doesn't and, and, and minimizes your your suffering well for me i found my way back to i think a purer form of christianity right so i wanted to answer that i wanted to answer that and you know the the lexicon that that we all have as westerners is a christian lexicon our understand whether we like it or not i mean tom holland's book dominion is awesome Right. And that 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 was pretty transformative when I when I listened to that as well, that I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can call upon that. Like just as a, an English speaking person, you can call upon it. If you're if you can understand what I'm saying right now, you your entire cultural context, at least enough of it is Christian that you can just call upon the, the, these archetypes. They live inside you in ways that you don't even understand. And and. It is, to, it is to not push off tradition as just cool stories, to understand that like you can live inside the tradition. For myself, the Protestant 
traditions that I was a part of did not have that sustenance. Although what I will say is that Derek Prince, who was a Pentecostal, very famous Pentecostal theologian, minister, whatever you would like to call him, kind of a pop theologian in a way, but not that well known, was it when it came to like an understanding of fasting. And when it also came to me going back through, like I said, going saying, look, Jesus was an exorcist and he healed. That's what he did. And it's like, God, have I really read? And that's, it made me think like, have I really read these as stories of the life of Christ? Or have I gone through and cherry picked this? Like, like I know all the important parts, but do I know them as a single story? And I realized, damn, I have never read. This was like a year and a half ago. I was like, I've never read one gospel all the way through. Mm. Like I've, I know all the stories and I know in which gospel they are and all of that. Have I ever read it all the way through as just like somebody handed this to me and was like, here's a story of this man without any other context. Here's a story of this man. Get something. Maybe you get something out of it. Maybe you don't. Because the people who are writing the gospels experienced it. So they're telling the story of their experience. And so it's like, oh, that no, that's how it should be read. And like, if it hits you, then, and, and it's in that experience of it hitting you. And so then when I read it, I was like, God, this guy is, a, he's an exorcist. He's healing people. He's also, he's also disagreeable. Like he's a disagreeable guy. He's telling his disciples they're pieces of crap all the time. <laughs> he's calling out all these people around him. He's calling them hypocrites all the time. He's doing all of this. And, he, and then he, he talks the talk. And he walks the walk because he's like, yeah, he called them hypocrites. And then he went to the cross for his like, whoa, okay. So that was real. That was okay. Wow. And I think that like seeing in that vein and understanding that there's an unbroken line of tradition of how do we make this connection? And not only that, but like Paul, it's all experiential. He's on the road to Damascus. He's persecuting Christians. And he's struck blind, like something talks to him. He's struck blind and he can't eat for three days. Well, I had an experience like that. I had an experience in 2017 where I couldn't eat and couldn't sleep for three days. I did not attribute it to God. But as I look back and I see, oh yeah, it was, this was definitely, I was being called all of the things, you know, and it's like, and so many people have had it. And it's just like, we can seek out, if we seek out tradition, we will find the experience because tradition is about all of the experience. And so on, on the positive note, the positive note is this, we're stepping into the mystical age and the space is open. Hmm. These, this conversation that we're having right now, we can have it in 2021. And I think people listening are like listening. Yeah. And this was, and this was like something that surprised Jordan Peterson that he kept on saying, how are these biblical lectures popular? How are these young men sitting down and listening to biblical lectures? This is this doesn't make any sense. Like this, that's because the space is open. It's open. Like it's okay for you to grab the power that your ancestors, that the ancients had. You can go and grab it. You can go and make this connection now. The space has been open in the same way that the space has been open for this other thing to come in, this dark entity. And so it's like the battle is starting. Hmm. The battle is starting. The battle that we were told 
it's it's starting. The the sides are being chosen up. You can pick a side now. You know, or you can sit and 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 be not in the fray and just be just bombed to hell by the the conflict that's about to take place, which is what most people are doing. Hmm. Right? And so the positive note is this. The the greatest you you can have so much more than you ever imagined because you can take advantage of the mystical aspect and the mystical power of what's out there in the traditions that your ancestors have had that they've kept safe for you this whole time to the same positive degree that this negativity is happening on the other side. The mystical power that they have to lock people in their homes, to turn people into NPCs, to make people wear masks, to scare people to death, the reverse, the light side is there as well now. It's available. It's here. And it's culturally acceptable to, to go after it and talk about it. Yeah. It's funny. You've said that a lot that like, Hey, we're in a, we're in a mystical age. You don't, you don't respond to one myth with facts. You respond with another myth and to see you and many other people do it and get away with it. It's still a shock. Cause we're still, we're still trained to think you can't talk about that kind of stuff in public. You can't say that kind of shit. That's woo woo, but it's Ben, this has been awesome. I had, I had a few items. These are the list of the items that I had on my list that I might want to talk that we didn't get to yet. Just a couple. We got to a lot. Okay. Okay. The end of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and what that. Oh was. yeah. That's an awesome one. Rene Girard and Mimetic Theory. Love. Yes. And uh, Bitcoin, which is a whole show yeah, in course. and of itself. That's a whole show. Um, well, let's do it. Let's do it again, man. I had an absolute blast. Uh, I think you're one of the people in this space. Your background is perfect for, uh, <laughs> for being able to understand and communicate and move through this. So I hope you talk about these topics a lot more. And I hope that you share the things that you're exploring yourself as well. I think that'd be a giant blessing for everybody, man. Yeah, it's funny. I've just started to more and more. And, and it's funny because I, I always, my background always made me an odd man out and I never really mm -hmm. talked about it. And whenever it come mm -hmm. up, people be like, weird. I didn't know you were like, you know, you like grew up homeschooled, you homeschooled. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, like traditionalism and conservatism, which is the way I grew up, mm -hmm. became cool aesthetically first. And now it's like philosophically, people are very interested yes. in that stuff. And I'm like, I've got all this stuff to draw from, from my own upbringing. I, I never, I didn't really like stay in the tradition I was brought up in the evangelical mm -hmm. non-denominational tradition, but I never had like a, a rebellion against it. I never became an atheist right. or I never, right, right. you know what I mean? I just sort of expanded my meaning of this and I, I, I got more meta, I guess, with what, what the things meant to me. But all of a sudden, this shit that was like normal and uninteresting to everybody, to me that I, that I just have because of the way I was raised is like people are hungry for it and interested. In it. So I'm, I'm bringing it out little by little. Yeah, please do, man. Please do. I can't wait. I will be I will be one of your biggest audience members. So please do. <laughs> Vin, thanks so much, man. Have a great day. Brother, thank you.